Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this show. Today I've got T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress with me for the full three hours as we continue to go over everything in the wide world of sports. We continue to recap uh, the majority of bowl season uh, and tell you about some new transfer portal rumblings as a big name in the Southeastern Conference, went in the portal today, which caught many off guard, including myself, I can tell you. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we'll talk about some more, again, big college football topics that we've been talking about the last couple of days. We'll also talk some more about college basketball as we will air the Bruce Pearl press conference audio in the 4 o'clock hour of this show. Of course, Auburn getting set for their first SEC game of the year and it is a trip to Fayetteville Arkansas against the Arkansas Razorbacks be a tough one inside of Bud Walton Arena so we'll talk a little bit about that one and of course we want to get to your phone calls today on the orthopedic clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine again Ryan TP and Brooks with you here on this Thursday edition of the show TP Hammock's first show here in 2024, good to have you back, sir. Hope you're doing very well today. I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Feels good to be back on uh, the new year. Uh, excited for the national championship. Got some uh, news today that they were going to announce something during the game for the new college football game. Probably going to come out this summer. And as someone who grew up playing all of those games, it makes me really happy that it's finally coming back. I didn't expect it like 11 years later, but you know what? We'll take it. So uh, just uh, really happy to be back on the show, get to talk to our great callers and, um, you know, get to talk to you and Brooks about some NFL football. And, uh, of course, got to talk about some college stuff because there was a big name that entered the portal today and it wasn't no random person. And, uh, you know, it's just... Yeah, you know, it's a good day, and uh, also really excited for the game on Saturday. It, it's been a while since I've been pretty excited for an Auburn basketball game. I'm not saying that as in, like, a bad way. You know, you just – you know, outside the opening tip-off against Baylor, there hasn't been many real big matchups, and whenever Auburn plays Arkansas, you know, Bruce Pearl and Eric Musselman, you know, they – you know, they're both really passionate, very similar coaches – in a sense of uh, passion, and they got their whole entire fan base behind them. So uh, really excited and um, looking forward to discussing that matchup with y'all as uh, hopefully Auburn can get some revenge from a couple of years ago whenever Auburn uh, got knocked off as the number one whenever they last made that trip to Bud Walton. Yeah, a good call, too, on the uh, football TP. I failed to mention that in the, uh, the open there that, of course, this is the last uh, Thursday show 
during uh, the heart of NFL season, during the regular season. Of course, we will preview all the playoff scenarios in the NFL. That will be a, a large portion of our show today. Today about the important games coming up this weekend, the playoff implications, and kind of get a lay of the land as we will enter the final week of the season. Brooks will be joining us here in just a couple minutes, but we'll go ahead and get going here on this Thursday edition of the program by, again, updating you with more Transfer Portal stuff. And uh, this time it is not necessarily Auburn-related. However, it does relate to Auburn in that it is an SEC uh, player of interest that we'll see if Auburn takes an interest to. And that is Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Judkins is entering the Transfer Portal. And he confirmed that report, which was reported uh, in the morning hours today. Judkins confirmed that this afternoon. He is going in the portal, and that is uh, maybe the biggest surprise portal guy of this uh, this cycle, I feel. I, I think this is the first one that is rising more to those uh, USC rumblings the first year Lincoln Riley when uh, Caleb Williams uh, got in and then Addison from Pittsburgh. Maybe this is more of an Addison type of play. Uh, and so Quinshot Judkins is going to be leaving Ole Miss. I know I have some some thoughts here in just a second, TP. But, I mean, what struck you when you saw that? And then I guess from Auburn's point of view, uh, is that should there be interest from the Tigers? So I'll answer both. Uh, did I expect it? Not at all. Because Ole Miss coming off of a Peach Bowl win. You know, for Ole Miss, you know, they, they don't make the New Year's Six that often at all. And I know Lane is really bringing that program back to prominence. But uh, – Really good season for them, and uh, they were return. They were doing really well in the transfer portal as well. So whenever I was texted today by a friend that Quinshawn Junkins entered the portal, I had to, I had to like double check. I was like, there is no way that he actually entered, and uh, he did. But um, really surprising. Like you said, probably the most surprising one of the uh, the off season. You know, we we expected some of those A and M guys to go whenever Jimbo got fired, and they completely revamped the staff. And um, now, do I think Auburn should kick the tires? I mean, I mean, uh, you got to live with this. So would I? Yes, because I think he's an elite level running back, and he'll probably go to the league after this year. He's he's going to be a three and out. He's going to be a day one pick next year, most likely. Um, but if you do that, you're going to have to live with the fact that you're going to probably lose either Jarquez Hunter or Jeremiah Cobb. You'll probably lose Jeremiah Cobb more than Jarquez Hunter because Hunter doesn't have much eligibility. And you'll probably you may lose Demari Austin, but I'm not sure. But I have a feeling that Cobb would probably leave or Austin. I I think those two. So you'd have to live with that. And um, you know you would have Jarquez Hunter and uh, Quinchon Judkins, which would be an awesome backfield. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, after next year, who do you have? Because there's a good chance in the day that we live in that. That, I'm not saying that they would for certain, but you, we got to look at it from a from the way that things go. You'd probably lose one of those, and probably to an SEC school because those two have been really good. Cobb's a lot younger. Uh, Cobb's younger, and I think he has more potential. Not, nothing against Austin, but I think he would get a bigger uh, a bigger market for say than uh, Austin. But yeah, I think uh, why not? Why not? Because I know that uh, all the big schools are probably going to be kicking the tires on him. So why not Auburn? So, a few notes on uh, financials because, obviously, I think people want to try to figure out what it would cost. Uh, the NIL evaluation that On3 had put him in the 500000 range uh, at Ole Miss. 
Uh, I think that a lot of people are saying that so they feel he'll ask for maybe two or three times that and probably go uh, into the million, million and a half range. Uh, but but the 500K is probably around what he was going to get at Ole Miss, that sort of thing. Uh, I think that when you're looking at that kind of figure, honestly, I would think that Auburn would look at it as if Jarquez Hunter is coming back, they will probably not spend that sort of resource for Quinshaw Judkins. I, I I think that they, if they get the inkling that Hunter is going to go pro, which we still don't know that for sure. I mean, I, I would think he would come back uh, after having a disappointing bowl performance. But again, I will say it for the tenth time on this show that running backs have a little different thought process because of the the count on how many times they get hit and how short the professional career is. And by no means am I saying Jarquez Hunter has great pro prospects. He is not going to be a high-round draft pick. But if you feel that you can go in the late rounds or get undrafted free agent, which several running backs are undrafted free agent that get time in the NFL, then you would want to do that if you thought you would have a pretty good bet of being on a roster next year. So – I, again, don't know what those odds are for him, but if he calculates that even as an undrafted guy, he is a pretty good chance of making a roster, then that's why he would go, even if he's not going to get drafted, because, again, running backs don't last very long. Uh, so if he's going to go, then I think you're all systems go on trying to land Quinshawn Judkins. Now, Judkins is one of those players that you just love to have, period. He's all, I mean, he's awesome, but... I'd also say to you that I think that Judkins would be maybe a little bit less interested in having more of a 50-50 or 60-40 split with someone like Hunter, if Hunter's going to stay, because Auburn's still going to want to give carries to Hunter with uh, what he's accomplished here and that sort of thing. I think that if they were to bring him in, I, I wouldn't worry as much about Austin and Cobb personally because – they kind of know they're not the main guy next year anyway. I don't think that they're staying here with the hope that Jarquez Hunter does go pro, that they already move up the pecking order. I think Brian Batie, who's down to one year of eligibility, there was a much higher sense of urgency and also the recognition that, that really there's no way he slices it, that he's going to get you know more than five, six touches a game next year, even if Jarquez Hunter left because they would have given the load to Austin and they probably would have bumped up Cobb wanting to see what he'd do. So – I think with those other guys, with Cobb only in his second year in the program, I think that as long as he's moving up towards the starting spot, then I think he'd be content with that. Uh, again, the TP scenario, if you have if you have both Hunter and uh, Judkins, then that would make sense why one of those guys would leave. But I just don't know if, if Auburn is going to, again, allocate the million, million and a half if they've still got Jarquez Hunter because that might – they might now be looking more quarterback, and maybe that's not filled this cycle. Maybe it's filled in the spring cycle like it was last time. I don't know. But that's why, uh, just for me, the general managing hat and wannabe, I'd love to know what teams feel they can spend because I know there's some that will have the tendency to think that, again, it's unlimited. Then you just throw a million here, throw a million there, throw 500K there, 400K there, 2 million there, and you just keep doing over and over again. But there are still limitations. They're not mandated by the NCAA. There's the Wild Wild West there. But there are still going to be 
these collectives that do have their limitations at some point, even as big as some of them are. And I think Auburn's is quite clearly one of the biggest out there now. And I, I would just love to know that what internally Auburn is thinking, because uh, it's not even about the running back and wide receiver that, you know, if it is Judkins that they try to swing heavy at since they missed on him in high school, or if they do end up trying to get a quarterback now that they're less pleased with Peyton Thorne than they thought. But it's also about, well, they're still targeting Ryan Williams, and that is not going to get ironed out for another month. And Ryan Williams ain't going to be cheap. I mean, I'm just going to kind of throw that out there that, yeah, not, none of that none of that caliber of player is cheap. So you just go back into it and you think, you know, if you're looking at several hundred thousand to a million there, you're looking at maybe 500K, 700K for a transfer quarterback. You're looking at uh, a million for Judkins. You know, that's a couple more million to three million, depending on where those figures actually are that you want to spend after already spending a lot of money late. So this may or may not be of any concern. They might have plural millions that they are still holding on to that they could allocate that they expect to allocate the next year and the next year and next year and, and all that sort of thing because all of this does get replenished. That's why you're able to spend in multiple years. But I don't know if there is some you know some figurative figure out there that, that they don't want to pass uh, because again, if I, again I'll I'll say this just as more evidence to support that again teams do have limits. If a team like Alabama or a team like Ohio State had no limits, they would get every single transfer portal guy they wanted they'd get every single one uh then they'd get uh every recruit they wanted alabama wouldn't have been turned away by perry thompson they would have just found the found the number that they could have gotten them at or or whatever uh even though perry seems incredibly loyal to auburn we know alabama tried uh and and i get that some players are not 100 about money but again i simply say that a lot of these portal decisions for starters not guys that are five-star corners that were didn't play their freshman year in transfer, but starters, and especially upper echelon guys like this, the Walter Nolans of the world from A&M, the Quinshaw Junkins of the world, that's going to be about a, a monetary figure uh, as much as it is opportunity to win. Because Ole Miss, I know I keep going on and on, TP wants back in, I'm sorry, I'll get to you just a second, is that Ole Miss is actually trending in a really good place. They've had a really good offseason, and – I think a many people, as of right now, would look at them as number three or four in the league going into next year. And why is that significant? Because I think at least four SEC teams are probably going to make a 12-team playoff. So you have your Bama, Georgia, Texas left over from this year, and then Ole Miss would be that next school in line uh, based off this year's results, based off the portal they got, Jackson Dart coming back, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so that's why this is co- weird because – he's in a position to win and maybe win in a way that Ole Miss has never won before. They keep doing that every year. They've never won 10 in a regular season. They did that two years ago and they never won 11 in program history. And they did that this year with their bowl wins. So anyway, there's a lot here and this is why we're spending some concrete time on it to start the show, because this is a guy we're very familiar with. This is a big name guy. And as far as running backs go in the country, I mean, he's going to enter next year as a top five running back in the country. Those don't grow on trees. And also, uh, again, you don't see those flip hands very often. No, I agree. I think, you know, that that was, you know, that was a big point. You know, you don't have these guys enter the portal like ever. 
especially at the running back position, you know, they kind of stay in place. And once you get there, you know, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel and they leave after their third year. And it makes sense. You know, you wish them well. They go to the league. They do whatever they do in the league. It's, you know, you've done your job. But if I was Auburn and I would, I, I liked what you said that, you know, you have, this is what I would say though. If you watch the Auburn offense this year, never did I look at it and go, man, the running backs just aren't doing their thing. I would look, and I'll be real with you. I said, man, the quarterback play isn't looking good, or man, the receiving core isn't looking good. Well, they checked off one box with the receiving core because that was an outstanding receiving class put together by Auburn there in the high school ranks. So I think if I would take all that money that Quinshaw Jenkins is rightfully going to get from some program, whether it be Auburn or somewhere else, I could see him. I, I could see Texas and Miami knocking on his door, especially since Texas is running back who was ranked number one by Mel Kuyper entered the draft about 30 minutes ago. Um, if I was Auburn, I would save that money. I would go after a quarterback in the portal or save it for the next class, you know, save it for the upcoming high school class and go after a, a top quarterback prospect there because I was not very pleased with what I saw from the quarterback room this uh, this past fall. But yeah, I think whatever Quinshawn Judkins decides to do, he's going to get paid really well. And I know he's from down the road. You know, I, I faced him whenever I was a senior. Like we held him to 17 yards. Granted, he had not had his like he turned into a monster after that, and we didn't play him, thankfully, because he would have ran for a lot of yards on us. But, like, he's he's a really good player. He's really smart as well. So wherever he decides, I'm sure it'll make a lot of sense for him. But if I'm Auburn, though, I'm saving that money because I think Jeremiah Cobb's going to be really good. I think you don't need – that's just like – you know, I'm not saying it's already to the point where you don't need Quinshawn Judkins, but it's just like – He's not a necessity right now. It probably doesn't increase your outlook no. as much as it is to actually cost to acquire him. And right, right. You could save that money for a line or quarterback play, which is what Auburn really needs right now. A more now. pressing need, and, and sure. Yeah. Uh, so, look, the tendency is, and, and look, I understand, the tendency is someone that good gets in the portal, you're like, man, got to get in on that. Especially lamenting the fact that he was a guy not far from here. But as we talked about before, a lot of big schools missed. All the big schools missed because he was a three star. He guy. had Yale in his top, <laughs> like on one of his like final four, or whatever. <laughs> so uh, look, I, I think that the Hunter decision does have some bearing, and I, again, I would really like to see that become a, a concrete decision rather than just kind of keep going and going with no decision. And I feel like since he said out loud that he is mulling the draft, I feel like that warrants, especially. Uh, Hunter to make it official but look if you have Hunter back I, I still think Judkins is a better running back than Jarquez Hunter but I don't think it's night and day to the point where you're like yep here's 1.2 million dollars to go acquire that and then oh well the, now you don't have enough for the portal quarterback you want if you do want that uh, you, you have to you can't increase your offer to Ryan Williams if that would make a difference there's other there's, there's other balls in the air here and because of Auburn's timing last year of getting their portal quarterback it's very possible that, again, they will wait, see spring practice, see who gets in the portal in the spring, and then look at quarterback again there. Now, of course, the Liberty quarterback's in there, Salter right now, which we can talk about him in a little bit. So that that is somebody that I think everybody expects Auburn to at least investigate a little bit. But, uh, but again, there's I, – I, I, I think it's best to get players in this cycle. I think you've got a better – uh, more co- a higher confidence in what you have available to you. The spring is just 
going to be kind of more guys that are not happy with their depth chart standing and and so maybe not guys that you would necessarily rely on starting or someone that had a weird situation come up so again i wouldn't necessarily rely on that as much but there will be guys in the portal that end up getting in the spring too and uh, and guys that get in the portal that you would want to have interest in so it's not your absolute last chance right now to do something in the portal but again the judkins situation is just interesting because when you as i said just a moment ago when you marry the opportunity that Ole Miss had, uh, the realization that, of course, they value him that like that, that there's not going to be many teams. They'll probably be, like I said, they'll be third or fourth picked in the SEC next year, but they'll also probably be top ten in the preseason nationally, given that they were about tenth this year postseason. So they're going to be somewhere around that tenth number heading into the preseason. That means there's, by default, not many programs that you can increase for a chance to win. So I think that this is probably a money thing. And I think that also it's probably some sort of tampering too. I think I'm not saying it's necessarily <laughs> tampering. One, <laughs> never <laughs> necessarily one particular school. Maybe it's a group of schools. Maybe it's they they sent out some flyers like what are we actually worth here and that sort of thing. But uh, it, it is one of the biggest cases of a transfer this this all season, and we'll see where he lands. I think he's probably not going to go to Georgia because they got Trevor Etienne uh, from Florida. Uh, Alabama could use an upgrade at running back. I think that'll be one to watch. I think Clemson will be one to watch. Uh, will Shipley uh, is they, uh, they don't do transfers. Though, well, I, I understand that, but if they want, if they wanted to, to if they wanted to start, this is where you would start <laughs> because Will Shipley just went pro today. Uh, so this is some that's someone that if they want to actually get serious about the portal, then then Clemson would make sense because he would be uh, a pretty sizable upgrade now that Shipley's left. Uh, so that would be interesting, but uh, you know, I don't know other schools. You know, LSU didn't have a great would, running back situation. I think Texas, Texas or Miami. If we if we're talking mm. money, we always yeah. gotta talk about Miami. Sure. But you just have see. To, I wouldn't get it though. I mean, that'd be that. It be, would just be money. But you're playing in front of what two thousand fans and <laughs> Hard Rock. Woohoo! You got a coach that's gonna run you, yeah. even when you should be kneeling the ball. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's good. It's two more carries a game, but. Uh, I, again, I, if I were if I were Ole Miss and he went in, ended up at Miami, I would be floored, honestly. But I mean, if it what is about Florida, they just lost Trevor Etienne. See that, but my point is, is like, yeah, that that just kind of exposes that it's only money and nothing else because there's no argument for Florida or even Miami being yeah. as good as Ole Miss next year. <laughs> there's no argument for that. At least at Clemson, LSU, obviously Alabama. Yeah, then you can make the argument that you be a part of that. You can get every bit as high of a of a mark, if not higher, at those schools. So, again, I w- I'm going to be I'm going to be fascinated. And ho- hopefully, he goes somewhere where Auburn is not negatively impacted, <laughs> and maybe Auburn gets involved in the recruiting process. Again, we we're not sure. Depends. I I still think it depends to some degree on Hunter, but uh, that this is going to be probably the most followed transfer guy, at least in this league this this cycle, because uh, even with having a season that felt underwhelming, he was still up there. <laughs> in all the categories, and obviously everyone knows his potential impact. So, again, Quinshot Judkins, running back out of Ole Miss, formerly at Pike Road, he is hitting the transfer portal. That's going to be one of the most sought-after players this cycle in the transfer portal. We need to take our first time out of the show. Back with more Sports Call right after this.
Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Sports call, sports call continuing right now on this Thursday. Tiger ninety five point nine. Ryan Lavoy, TP Hammock, with you as we continue on with this Thursday. Want to talk a little bit about uh, the portal quarterbacks and how most of them have made decisions, moved on, that sort of thing. Uh, there still is Will Howard, although not an Auburn target. Uh, probably uh, somewhere like Ohio State for him. But the name to watch most recently is Caden Salter, the Liberty quarterback uh, who did play for Hugh Freeze, uh, was a starter for about half the season in 2022, obviously had a, a big year leading Liberty to that New Year's Six Bowl this year. Uh, the numbers on him this year, he was a 61% passer, 2,876 yards, 32 touchdowns, to six interceptions. He also ran for over 1,000 yards, 1,089 yards, and 12 touchdowns. So clearly a dual-threat quarterback there. That name is going to come up, and what I'm having a hard time doing is trying to figure out if he were to be brought in, how likely it would be that he would be the starter. Uh, I think that you could really go either way. He clearly is a great rusher of the football with those numbers. I think there is a bit of a – again, I think there's a bit of a worry with the passing just in that it's only about 200 yards a game. It was 61% at a lower level. And when you look at it, he did get the chance to play Oregon – and tell me if this line reminds you of somebody. 15 of 24, 126, one touchdown, one pick. Kind of reminds you of the guy Auburn already has when they played Oregon. Now, look, again, I, I'm not um, – I, I need to watch more tape of him. I watched a little bit of it against Oregon. Uh, but I don't think that that's the layup starter. I'm not opposed to Auburn – adding him or someone like him because again I think the reality is they're too late in this to get your surefire starter and it then becomes are you are you just desperate enough to get somebody just to compete again whether they end up winning the job or not and I think as we went through the roster yesterday it's kind of hard to not have any interest whatsoever and bringing someone else in. Now, it does not have to be someone long-term because I think the idea is still in year two 
uh, of Walker White at his sophomore year, 2025. I think that that's probably the target date for hopefully him being able to take the reins. I think that's also one of the appeals why they really wanted one more year of Peyton Thorne because he'd be out of eligibility after next year. So they thought that, that was a, there was enough there. They wouldn't have somebody that would cloud the future. Obviously, you'd love to cloud the future if someone was good enough, but no one has been good enough to this point. So, TP, where do you stand on someone like Salter, or maybe Salter specifically, and the need for Auburn to do something about the quarterback position in the portal? So I, I actually did get to watch a lot of Salter this year with Liberty because if you remember in October, they Conference USA now does where they do midweek games in October – and uh, so I got to, I got to watch a lot of Liberty football this year, and I like what I see, but I think there's something. I think there's potential, but also I think there's a ceiling because of one thing. I'm not sure how much of it is Salter, and how much of it is Jamie Chadwell, because I think Jamie Chadwell is a really good offensive-minded coach, and I, he's got a really funky. It's not like triple option, but it's like it's in that ballpark for say of it's kind of a specialized system you don't see it like really anywhere else and that that'd be concerning to me because i'm not sure how salter can do in a different system because this is our only sample size is him with a really good offensive mind in chadwell so i mean i think he could i would i would love auburn to kick the tires on him i i mean i i'd be perfectly fine with it you're probably gonna lose gurner if you do take him though um gurner or brown but um You've already lost Robbie, but uh, I, I would be okay with it. I think, you know, it could improve your room. I think, I mean, Freeze already did talk about, like, you know, the quarterback position's wide open again uh, after the bowl game. So, I mean, the guy did really well at Liberty, like you said, a 1,000 rushing yards, and uh, I would just be careful about it, though, if you do kick the tires. Like you said, wasn't a great passer, but I'm not sure how much of that was him or maybe his players around him or maybe just the system because it's a lot of, it's a lot of like shotgun triple option, like I said, with Chadwell's system. Very fun offense to watch, but um, I, I would be okay with it, but I think you would just really need to realize that this is going to be more of a project than a prospect. And I think, too, that that's why they're probably not jumping at the bit to it. I think that, ironically, I, I, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I have questions about why it was so definitive pre-bowl game that Freeze wanted Thorne to be the guy next year and then so definitive afterward that it was open. Like those two concepts probably didn't make the most sense together. Uh, either you go enter the bowl game saying that he's your guy and you say, well, that was rough. He's still going to have to compete for it, but we still have faith in him. Or you don't go before the bowl game and say like, "Hey, yeah, this is this is totally our dude. He's the starter twenty twenty four. We're not we're we're so good. We don't we don't need anything in the portal." And then, you know, you you, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. You, you're looking at it as they really reverse course based off the bowl game, and those two ideas probably. Uh, for what it was, that, that's not. It's not like that was something we hadn't seen out of Peyton Thorne this year. That had kind of been who he was 
uh, off and on throughout the year. So again, the the 180 reversal just kind of I guess was a little surprising in hindsight. Yeah, I think it was. I, I was surprised whenever it came out originally because I was just you know there were so many good quarterbacks in the. Uh, there were so many good quarterbacks in the portal at the time, and Freeze is like, no, nope, we're staying with Thorne, which is, you know, fine to stand to your guns, but you better stand to him the whole way. And I thought it was very odd because, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't like Thorne had been, you know, lighting it up. And, you know, I, I was very concerned whenever he said that it was going to be Thorne for you because I was not a big believer in him. I wasn't a huge believer whenever he came last year, but um, – you know, I, I was very concerned whenever Free said that. And so I, I think it's odd that after one bowl game where there were opt-outs, you are playing Maryland, you were up there in Nashville. It was a very cold, wet day. And, you know, you didn't play your best. You know, the first quarter was a disaster. But after that, you know, your defense gave up three points because the other seven came off the arm of Peyton Thorne. So, I mean, I'm just saying I wish – I didn't like how he just jumped back and forth there with Freeze. I wish he would have just stuck to either we're going after a portal guy whenever it first opened, whenever there was a, a very plentiful one. Maybe you could have gotten in on the Will Howard. Maybe you could have gotten in on some of these guys that I've already committed. Cam Ward. Cam, Cam Ward, exactly. You know, you waited to the last minute there, and he jumped to the NFL. So um, not not a big fan of the that. It felt very, uh, felt very rushed. Yeah, and again, Cam Ward's the one because – the B guys even reported. It depends how early you woke up uh, the the next day, but they even reported that Auburn tried to make a, a late or was or was at that time making a late push, and then less than an hour later, Ward went ahead and went to the NFL, uh, went to the draft, and you just wonder if this had been their opinion for three weeks rather than for three hours if they had been able to do more groundwork and ended up getting Ward instead of him going going pro. I, I don't know. That's speculation. But the way Auburn has recruited in the 12 or so, 13 months that he Freeze has been here suggests that they would have absolutely at least had a better shot at it and that he has been successful in a lot of those recruiting battles. Uh, so that is regrettable uh, if, if it turns out that Auburn does not have – either something else they can get done in the portal or do not see the development in Thorn. All this, too, is off the backdrop of, again, let's not forget, although it is clearly more important what he has done in Auburn, but he had good stuff at Michigan State, especially the first year. Like Again, this was not a guy without hope and without any promise whatsoever. And it was such a train wreck of a passing attack this year that, it almost is seemingly unfathomable to think that he regressed that much. You think surely the other parts of this played the big role. And look, you can say that maybe he looked good in practice all you want, but the reality is like you're throwing for like 130 or 40 yards a game. I I, I find it hard to believe that truly good quarterbacks are going to be resigned to that low of production and that low of confidence and that low numbers. Because as we talked about early in this year, uh, even with the Cal game and all that, there was a lack – no matter what was seen in practice, we still got to games and there was a lack of confidence in them from the coaching staff, from the word go. And that that was before he even got three, four, five, six games into this thing that they were not very confident in throwing the football. So – I think that it, it's a very convoluted situation coming into 2024 
because without a Cam Ward type of player, which some other guys might become available in the spring, I doubt they'll be Cam Ward's level, Will Howard's level, that sort of thing. Maybe even Riley Leonard's level. You're going to have a a, a summer-long conversation. We're going to be talking about this for nine months. I'm I'm just telling you right now, I'm already pre- a little upset about it, uh, uh, just for if no, for no other reason that we're going to say the word quarterback seven thousand times between now and the start of the season, uh, because there will be arguments from multiple guys, and they're not going to necessarily be good arguments. It's it's uh, what what is it that people always say? If you have three quarterbacks, you really have none. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's not one of those things where you're like, we're, no, we're just lining it, up the next great guys here. It's like, well, Holden Gurner was a, a low four-star guy. He's 5 of 15 this year in his mop-up duty. You've got Peyton Thorne, who really good first year at Michigan State, meh, second year at Michigan State, and then meh, uh, first year at Auburn. <laughs> and then you've got Hank Brown, who, again, rating-wise, suggests is not going to be starting for a Power 5 school. And then he comes in and looks better than all of them, and again, a very small sample size. And then you do have a, a pretty high four-star in Walker White coming in, but again, do you put the number 10, 11-ish quarterback, 12-ish quarterback in the country out there day one with a bunch of freshman receivers too and just make it all new at one time? That, that's, a, that's a leap of faith. Uh, that is a leap of faith. So Salter interests me because he can be a part of that battle, someone that Freeze is familiar with, but even that, I don't think that just says, all right, here's your answer. No one needs to talk about it. We're good. It's awesome. Here comes thousands of yards passing next year. You know, it, it doesn't – I don't think it would work that way with him either. So the quarterback situation is going to continue to come up and up and up and up and up and up some more uh, throughout the spring upcoming and throughout the summer and the fall. We need to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we'll go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday. Still expected to be joined by Brooks at a time to be determined, as he does other company business right now. But uh, we continue on with the first hour of the show by going on to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401, locally or toll-free, one triple eight nine Tiger Nine. First up on the show, Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you today? 
What's up, Ryan? What's up, man? Who you got with you? Uh, just TP today. How you doing, Matt? Oh, you're the one that talked to TP. I, I, I answer the phone at times. Hmm. Okay. I haven't been here in like a month, though, so. Well, uh, last time you tried to call me, you played, you played a little prank, prank, prank that, on me. That was not me, Matt. I, I promise you that wasn't me. I'm usually here out in the afternoons. Well, somebody will play a prick on me. But I don't know who it was. But if you can find out who did it, I didn't like like the prank on me and stuff like that. I think it was a Florida State person. I am an Ohio State fan, so far from a Florida State fan. It's someone that works with you guys, but I told Ryan Ryan and uh, Tom and Brooks about it. But if you can find out who did it, I didn't like the prank. And and so so it kind of hurt my feelings and and so so. But I want to talk about like you guys are talking about uh, Gardner and Brown and Peyton Thorne. Is Gardner still going to be with Auburn? Yeah, Holden Gardner is uh, still expected to be with uh, with Auburn this year and. Uh, Still, still, guys could enter the portal. I think this is probably the last day for the five-day window after the bowl game. Uh, of course, there could be stuff in the spring, though, because there's a spring transfer portal window. But, yes, he's expected to be with Auburn. Well, I was going to talk about the transfer portal. I saw that uh, Auburn got a former Georgia offensive lineman is visiting Auburn, and I want to know what you guys think about that. And then I heard a battle it has turned – uh, enter transfer portal. So I want to get you guys thoughts on those on those two. Um, yeah, Brian Batie is the uh, the running back there, former South Florida guy, and he uh, did hit the portal a couple of days ago. Uh, again, there's just not room for four running backs that are all trying to vie for playing time, and since he's uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit older. He's only got one year of eligibility. He needs to go somewhere where he can uh, make sure he gets on the field and uh, is able to to play some his last year. Uh, as for the some of the guys uh, visiting Auburn that are in the portal, portal, um, I know that there's a corner from Georgia that uh, that Auburn has been trying to get in on. I, I, I'm not sure of the offensive lineman that you're referring to, but. Uh, they yeah. are they are looking at a bunch of different guys from from uh, all across the country. Yeah, I was going to um, talk about the one the cornerback, but I got a question for uh, JP. Um, I know you're a big Ohio State fan. Um, I I want to get your thoughts on what do you think about Auburn looking at the Mississippi State wide receiver, and I want to get your thoughts on what. Do you think Auburn had a chance of beating Alabama when uh, it was fourth and thirty-one? And like, uh, do you, what did you do, what did you think about when Alabama got away with those two two with the face match and the push off? I want to get your thoughts on that. So I was at the game, uh, you know, and uh, I'll be honest with you. Yes, I did think Auburn was going to win. Whenever it's fourth and thirty-one, and uh, it still breaks my heart to this day that um, that didn't happen. That was a really tough one, and uh, you just gotta you just gotta respect the throw and that that face mask on the 
on the kickoff that you were referring to, that was horrible. I don't know how they missed that. I think that gets called 10 times out of 10, but guess not. So nine times out of 10. Um, I don't think it was a push off by Isaiah Bond. I think it was just in the heat of the moment right there. I don't think the ref's looking for that. I mean, I think you could have, but I, I wouldn't have at that moment. But uh, And uh, regarding the Mississippi State receiver, I believe you're referring to Xavion uh, Thomas. I see he scheduled an Auburn visit back in uh, early December. I'm not sure if uh, Auburn's still looking at him. I know that uh, Auburn did get a receiver out of Georgia State who did sign, and um, I imagine that Georgia State uh, player took Xavion uh, Thomas's spot, but but I could be wrong. But uh, I, I don't think Auburn needs any more receivers because I'm very pleased with the uh, class that they brought in of Cam Coleman. Perry Thompson, Bryce Kane, and um, the the receiver from Benjamin Russell out of Alex City. Another question for you, uh, JP, and then I go back to uh, Ryan, because Ryan knows me very well. I know you very much, JP. But um, I want to get your thoughts on on this, and Ryan, you can jump in if you want to. Um, first, I wanted to see what you guys think about the Michigan um, Washington game for national championship and JP. I want to know who are you going for and who's favoring the national championship game. And then Ron, for you, what do you guys think about like who do you think Auburn can beat Arkansas this uh, this Saturday in Fayetteville? I know Bruce Pearl says like it's a hard place to win in Fayetteville, but I'm going to get you guys on top. You guys. Thoughts on the national championship game and then the Auburn basketball game this week. JP, I start with you first. Okay, so you asked about the college football playoff. I'm, I'm totally going for Washington. I think that a lot of people across the nation are going for Washington. It's just a really good story there. Um, two years ago, they went four and eight. They lost to Montana for reference. They were really bad. They were in a really bad spot there, and they hired uh, Kalen DeBoer out of Fresno State. And they got the transfer, Michael Penix and a bunch of other players. And uh, you asked about who's favored. I'm looking at it. Uh, currently, FanDuel has Michigan minus four and a half. So they think it'll be around a 31 to 27 ball game, which is about what I'd put it at. Uh, who do I think will win? You know, I, I mean, I, I'm really 50-50 on it. I think Washington's offense is just really elite. They remind me a lot of that 2019 LSU team. Not not as good, but they do have a lot of traces of that. Well, and uh, I, think, uh, I think Washington has a really good chance, but I think Michigan has the better trenches. And uh, people, coaches will tell you that, you know, the trenches win your ball games. So as much as it pains me, I'm going to have to go with Michigan to win the game. Well, uh, Ron, before you answer for that game, for the national championship in the basketball game, JP, I want to give you my score, but you're gonna love you're gonna love this because I I do Ryan, Ryan knows about my my pick scores, right, Ryan? Uh, yeah. So so JP, here's my score. You said Michigan's minus four, right? Minus four and a half. I got Michigan winning um, 48 42. That's a that'd be a really high scoring ball game. I think that'd play in favor with Washington. Uh, I'll give you my score prediction, Matt. You know, 
I'm an Ohio State fan, so I hate Michigan. So I'm going to go with the Huskies here, even though I and my my brain says Michigan, my heart says Washington. So I'll go with 38 to 31. Huskies get the uh, national title. I need another score, JP. I need you two more scores. Uh, 38-28 Michigan, and then Michigan 56, uh, Washington 34. Those would be some really uh, high-scoring football games there. So, hey, Ryan, what do you think about those two scores? I think it'll be on the the lower lower side of things than that. I do think Washington can be capable of a a lot of explosive offense, but uh, I, I would be surprised if it went into the okay. 40s. Okay, so I want to get your thoughts. Ryan, first start with you. What do you think about the basketball game in Arkansas and who is the best player for Arkansas? I know they're not that good. Their record's not that good. But who's their best basketball player that you have, a forward or a guard, and who, what Auburn player would you put on that? On that, on that basketball player for Arkansas. Yeah, and uh, this will have to be our last thing, Matt, because we've got to get to our end-of-hour break. But, yeah, with basketball, I think that Trayvon Mark uh, is probably their best player. Uh, Trayvon Mark, excuse me. And then uh, they've also got Trayvon Brazil, uh, who has been a, a really good rebounder for them, pretty complete player. Uh, he's a forward. But, again, I think Mark is probably their best player, so you're looking at some sort of guard defending him. Uh, you'd probably be going – uh, with uh, one of your wings because he is not a point guard. He's a 6'5", 6'6", guy. Uh, so you'd probably maybe go Denver Jones. You, you'd look at uh, maybe some Chris Moore depending on the matchup, uh, Chad Baker-Mazar depending on the matchup. But uh, you'd be looking at some sort of wing uh, defending him there, and, and it will be a very tough game. Well, hey, uh, AP, it was nice, nice meeting you. Um, hope to talk to you again, but – JP, if you can, I know Ryan said you guys have to go, but JP, if you can find out who did that prank on me and tell that person that I didn't like it, the, that prank, it really made me upset and uh, hurt my, it really hurt me and stuff. But I didn't like it very much. If you can find out who did that, I would appreciate it. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best and uh, ask around for you, my friend. Like I said, I really didn't like it. Hey, I told Ryan about it. Like, um, I told Ryan when <laughs> Ryan, you remember what I told you that like, I was really, really, I was really, really hurt. I was about, I was about, I was crying. And yep, I, I do remember, and I'm sorry about that. Yeah, and and such so, but um, but hey, uh, JP, again, nice meeting you. Um, hope to talk to you again. But, uh, Ryan, if you see my man, man, Devon Reed, don't forget to tell him uh, I wanted to talk to him and try to get uh, Bruce Pearl in there or or uh, Cadillac or even get Ronnie Brown on, on the show if you can. And don't forget JJ. Yeah, we'll certainly try to do that, Matt. Uh, again, we really appreciate the call today, buddy. All right, War Eagle. War Eagle. That is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt for Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are out of time. For the first hour of the show, coming up in hour number two, more sports call. Uh, Brooks Childress join us after he was taking care of some company business. We'll get into some NFL and a lot of other things here on this Thursday edition of Sports Call live on Tiger 95.9.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and now Brooks Childress with us here on this Thursday edition of the program. What's up, peeps? Uh, finally uh, finally decided to show up. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You, you were doing some other things around the uh, station. So I was in the building. Uh, but uh, glad to have you on here on this Thursday. Again, coming up a little bit later, uh, we'll get into some NFL Week 18 stuff as we get into – the final regular season week of the year. But for now, we want to uh, take your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one tiger 9 It is Arkansas week for the Tigers, which means? Snake from Pulaski County. Snake is with us. Snake, how are you today? I'm fine. Is all of a celebration over about the win over the Ivy League school? Uh, on the heels of a victory over Chattanooga? Uh, yeah. Congratulations for being put in the top 25. But let me tell you something. It's going to be short-lived. You're due a trip into Bud Walton Arena, the Bud, Saturday, to play on the Nolan Richardson Court, and there's going to be 19,000 screaming Razorback fans in the building. And that, the students are back, and they're not going to treat Bruce Pearl very kindly. So this is going to be a – we've got all our players now at top speed. Minifield, last game, scores 32. We don't play an Ivy League school. We play UNCW. They beat Kentucky. We put 100 points on them and sent them back home. So Minifield, Devo Davis, Brazil, Battle, Marks, Graham, Go down the list. We're loaded. So I don't think it's even going to be close. But anyway, um, it has to be played. What I want to know is who makes your schedule? I mean, in football last year, for example, you played Mercer and San Jose State. I mean, who who arranged that? I mean, it made Ryan Arson a multimillionaire. But who arranges these schedules this year? In football, UMass, Sanford, but New Mexico State caught up with you. And then what happened in the Music City Bowl? That was an embarrassment against Maryland. So I'm just wondering who, I mean, do the coaches make these up? Do you have a scheduler? How does that work? Yeah, so I mean that's I mean it's probably the same people that schedule Western Carolina, Kent State, and uh, Florida International and their non-conference schedule. Um, you know, and, and look, the Music City Bowl, 
certainly did not go well. It was nice to be in a bowl game. Uh, not everyone in the league could say that. But, uh, you know, I think that obviously uh, Bud Walton is a very tough place to play. Uh, certainly respect the venue. And Ar- you're right, Arkansas is coming into form now that they've got the full team. I think Bruce Pearl has been very complimentary of the challenge that it is to go to Bud Walton Arena. There's continued to be a lot of close games there, and I personally think it'll be another close game this weekend, but certainly Arkansas will be uh, a very formidable challenge, and and that arena is uh, one of the toughest in the country. Other than USC, who who have been the big wins? Uh, I would I would probably say Indiana would be uh, would be the other one. Uh, Indiana still expected to be a tournament team that was on a neutral floor, but uh, scored a hundred in that game. Obviously, Auburn's non conference was not incredibly robust, but I think they also had the misfortune of a couple teams having really bad years, like in Notre Dame, for example. But uh, I yeah, I mean, again, the, I'm not saying the non conference has been uh, a, a incredibly tough slate, but also the way Auburn has handled it has been quite well when they've blown out the majority of these teams. Yeah. Back to football just a minute. Now that Bobby Petrino was back here, all is well. Uh, we're bringing in recruits from all over the country, especially wide receivers. Um, we don't even have a room for enough of them. They're four or five-star recruits. And it looks like that Burnett, the running back that has been committed to Auburn, is now going to flip to Arkansas. Is that what you hear? Uh, Jamarian Burnett, I, I was not familiar with uh, his next step on uh, on where he was going. I know he's considering a, a few different schools, so it, it very well might be Arkansas, but uh, Auburn uh, decided once that it was likely Jerquez Hunter was coming back that they had three or four running backs still for next year so that Burnett wanted to look at uh, other opportunities because he would not be playing next year. So, so that was the situation? Yeah, they, they, they're going to have at least three running backs in the room uh, that got carries this year. So it would have been very tough to play early on. Obviously, he'll get a opportunity to, to play somewhere, and he'll probably be a pretty good running back, but – Auburn did not end up signing any running backs because they have a have really nowhere to, to play him next year. Was he offered? The word was he was, he was committed. Yeah, he was committed, but I think Auburn and and uh, Burnett kind of mutually uh, rescinded that again once Jarquez Hunter was not uh, having the the huge year they wanted him to have and and not being able to have the uh, ability to. Uh, go pro, which means obviously with him coming, if he do, assuming he does come back, I mean there's still a, a small chance he makes that decision. But uh, I, I think that uh, once they realized that they were going to have at least three running backs in the room, that the the need was not as prevalent. So what's the quarterback situation for next year? Yeah, it's going to be a Where tough one. Walker White fit in. Fit in? Uh, I I just don't think they want to rush Walker White. I think that they're very hopeful for his his ceiling and uh, the expectations for him. And playing as a true freshman would be very difficult. Uh, I, I think that uh, I'm sorry. Uh, he had a good year at Little Rock Christian this year. I think they went nine and two, and he was he was the fifth best quarterback in the state and was honorable mention all state. He's he's good. He's big, six four, two twenty. I saw it. I saw him play against Plasky Academy, and they won that game. But, um, you know, it's going to take some time. You're right. I think it's going to take some time for him to develop. So who's going to be the starting QB next year? Yeah, honestly, if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have said Peyton Thorne, and now I'm not sure because of the way Freeze reversed course after the poor bowl game. 
I think that they are still going to look into the portal ultimately. Uh, and, and really, they don't have a lot of good options on their roster right now. So I think that they, they, they might have to go through spring practice, uh, see how that's shaping up, and then maybe try to acquire one more guy. Yeah. I, I noticed the basketball team shot a lot of three balls against 10. What's the strategy against the Razorbacks? You know they won't get those kind of shots. Yeah, I think Auburn's strength is that their point guard play does a really good job uh, spreading the ball around. Their assist-to-turnover ratios are, are through the roof. It's a team that, that uh, only had, I think, four turnovers against Indiana when they played uh, back in Atlanta earlier this year, and they've had a lot of games where they only have single-digit turnovers. So they, they, they tend to mix it up in terms of if they shoot a lot of threes or not. They're really not the best three-point team, although there are – some guys that they still think would shoot a little bit better throughout the course of the season. Uh, but I think that they're pretty balanced overall. I mean, Auburn plays 11 players. So they they don't rely on any one or two guys every single game. Obviously, Janai Broom is is the name that uh, has been around this league since uh, last right. year. Uh, and then Aiden Hallway is the five-star that has a lot of range but is a little inconsistent with it. But, I mean, they've – They've got guys like Jalen Williams and, and Denver Jones and Chad Baker Mazzara that also go for about 9, 10, 11 points a game. So, again, it's pretty balanced. And they, they, they again, it kind of pretends to their whole team. They don't necessarily take a ton of threes. They don't always go down low with, with guys outside of Broom. Uh, so, again, it's a very balanced offensive attack. Well, do you think they'll be fast-paced? I mean, we're going to get up and down the floor. Yeah, and I think Auburn is willing to do that. I saw a number – uh, earlier uh, this week that last year Auburn was around 200th in the country in efficiency on the fast break, and this year they're in the top 50. So they've really improved their transition offense. Uh, and I think that it, it will be interesting to see how frenetic it gets. I know Arkansas does want to run, as you said, that that's been Musselman's style uh, for sure. And, and when Auburn was at its best under Pearl a few years ago, Auburn was running a lot too, and they kind of got away from that the last couple of years. So we're still waiting to see how this works on the road and in some of these tough environments like Bud Walton. But I do think that the early numbers suggest that at the bare minimum they are better at doing it. Will they do it a lot? We'll see. But they are at least a little better at it than last year. Yeah. How did you get this recruit out of California, the point guard? Uh, you talking about Hall- t- Hallway, Hall- Aiden Hallway? Yeah. I mean, what would cause him to come – Flip coast. Uh, I mean, well, mm-hmm. you are starting to get. He, he, he was a five star McDonald's All American. Uh, well, I know Hallways out of I mean, Charlotte. I, I don't. I don't know which. Uh, no, which they, I, I'm talking about the point guard, Aiden. Well, Holloway is out of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. So he, he's the five star out of Charlotte. So again, I. Well, I think. I think he played in. I thought he played in California last year. Maybe he, he might have played at Prolific. But, yeah, he might have played out in California too. Um, yeah, yeah, he played at Prolific Prep okay. for his senior year. Okay, so yeah, he played. He's from Charlotte. Played in California. Played both. Played in high school both in North Carolina and then finished at, at the at Charlotte as at, at California. Excuse me. So uh, it's still a guy with East Coast ties, and you are looking at a situation where Auburn's now. Uh, become a little bit more national with the last four, five, six years of this. And uh, Pearl has been a good recruiter in his time at Auburn. I think one of the interesting matchups Saturday is going to be Minifield uh, versus um, Holloway. I, I think that'll be an interesting uh, matchup. Minifield with 32 points the last game. 
and he's really started to emerge as our point guard. Um, and so I think that's going to be I think that's going to be a key matchup. Yeah, and I know anyway, he's looking forward yep. to the game, and uh, should be a good one. But boy, I just don't I don't think y'all have experienced an atmosphere like the Bud. Uh, well, again, certainly not this year, but I know that they have tremendous respect for it, and well, I think the last five games have all been decided by nine points or less with a, with three Arkansas victories and two Auburn victories at Bud Walton. So, right. again, history suggests it should be a pretty good one. Right. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Snake. Appreciate the phone call. That is Snake from Pulaski County, Arkansas, joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line. Good to hear from Snake. Uh, we do expect that when it's Auburn, Arkansas week in football and in basketball. We certainly do appreciate that. Uh, came in pretty hostile. I was about to say, yeah. just, I, I just hope that, you know, unlike football season, he gives us a call back after the, <laughs> uh, if, if they lose. I'm sure if Arkansas wins, he will. I can't guarantee he will if, if Auburn wins. Uh, yeah, it, it would start hostile with the attack of the scheduling. And I don't know, man. I Again, uh, anyway. Uh, but yeah, basketball, it's going to be a good one. I think that, again, Snake being a little dismissive of how Auburn has won their non-conference games. We've talked about it. Auburn has some big names that are not panning out this year. Uh, and that is fair to say. Uh, I think Baylor is the only ranked team on the list. And obviously Auburn led that game for a while, could not finish it. And I think that the Menfield holloway slash Donaldson matchup will be very important. I don't want to go too deep dive in this game because we is something we want to accomplish tomorrow as well. But I am curious to see, and I'm mentioning a little bit there, because Donaldson and Holloway have taken such great care of the ball and their assist to turnover ratio has been so good, I want to see that go ahead and translate on the road in the SEC too. Uh, because uh, I know that he was very much touting Bud Walton Arena uh, but he should. Bud Walton Arena is probably the toughest place I think that Auburn will play this year. Now, you know, Tennessee might be better than Arkansas, but I think pound for pound, Bud Walton is every bit as tough as Thompson Bowling, maybe even a, a bit tougher. So I think it's fair to say that this environment, it will not get any worse than this, any more difficult than this. Just maybe the teams will change a little bit, and I don't think they go to rough this year. Uh, I think Auburn's only got the one against Kentucky. It is in Neville in February. So this is going to be a great challenge. And I, I think that the good news is it's so early in the conference slate, there will be a lot of time to recover if you don't play well. If you do play well, then you could be off to something serious because it's very tough to win in the road. So, again, I hate that he was so hostile about it because I don't hate everything he said or at least at, you know, the, the overarching point because it is going to be tough. Uh, but I do think that to completely dismiss the way Auburn has won these games, again, the, the, the analytics and stuff have loved Auburn way more than human polls. I know he was again, poking at Auburn for the Chattanooga pin wins, but uh, the analytics have suggested really since week two that Auburn should be a ranked team, and now the humans are starting to catch up a little bit to it. So we'll have more on Auburn, Arkansas, if not today, certainly tomorrow on the show do appreciate that phone call and the uh, the different viewpoint there from snake from pulaski county we're going to head to our first time out of the four o'clock hour when we come back more of your phone calls on the orthopedic clinic phone line 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine sports call returns in a moment
you want to join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Let's head back to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the program, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? Hey, I'm feeling much better today after listening to uh, uh, Snake from Pulaski County. Sure. Uh, he was uh, a bit dismissive, I, I thought, of all the chances of, of winning uh, Saturday. And, uh, you know, he always reminds me of his comments. comments remind me of, uh, I guess he's Arkansas's version of Alabama's Anthony. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can compare callers uh, too much because Snake doesn't call it nearly as much as Anthony. But uh, oh, I agree. I think it just means that uh, they're scared of Auburn. They're they're calling in the calling in the shows, trying to talk it down. To be, yeah. Well, with Snake, maybe maybe so. To be fair with Anthony, I know he picked against Alabama, not in the Iron Bowl, but the, uh, he did pick against Alabama a few times this year. So I, I don't know if he was uh, full on thinking they'd win everything. But uh, but yeah, Snake came in very strong there. Yeah. Well, about that, guys. You know, my son who. I mean, he's uh, so fanatical about college basketball. He loves it. He knows teams and their players. Like, uh, uh, I mean, he's like a Wikipedia. But he, he brought to my attention. He says, "Oh, he says we're playing Arkansas." He says he calls it the House of Horrors. Now, I know we've not done that well, and I, for the life, I, I've been trying all afternoon trying to find what uh, Coach Bruce Pearl's record is against uh, uh, Arkansas, but I couldn't find it. Guys, do you know what his record is? I, uh, at uh, Bud Walton, I just know the same stat I read uh, to to Snake a little while ago, where I believe it's the last five have all been single digit games at Bud Walton, with three Arkansas victories and two Auburn victories. I'm not sure how far back that spans, if that covers all of it or most of it, but uh, I, I know that uh, I, I know that it's usually a tight game. There's been some overtime games. Uh, and, and it has always been been pretty chippy there. Yeah, chippy is probably an understatement. Um, I'm, I'm still calling when they stormed the uh, Coliseum floor after we were ranked number one. Uh, we beat uh, we got beat by them. Um, about this upcoming uh, game Saturday, guys. Uh, I've been following Arkansas. Well, how do you see uh, how we match up? Yeah, again, I think that with Arkansas. Uh, I, I would not let the four losses uh, be everything in, in evaluating them. Uh, again, Snake, as after he came on too strong, he did make a couple of things that I was going to bring up uh, later this week, whereas the, the guard he talked about, Menfield, Kayon Menfield Jr., uh, he is their starting guard, and, and he did not play until three games ago, and he's already had uh, a 32-point game. So he is – certainly one of their most important players uh and he was just not available to them until a few games ago so when you're keeping that in mind 
You know, some of their losses are totally reasonable. They lost to North Carolina. North Carolina is quite good. Uh, they lost to Memphis. Memphis is a top 25 team. They did beat Duke in Bud Walton Arena. Duke is, is starting to recover. I have a loss to Oklahoma. They're a top 25 team. So Arkansas uh, has had a tougher non-conference schedule than Auburn. Uh, and there's really no debating that. So I, I would not read too much into their record. That This will be a, a challenging game. Um, I, of course, Vegas hadn't come out with any lines yet. Uh, what would you guess? Uh, who's favorite? Probably Arkansas? I would think Arkansas would be favorite. I think it will be very close, maybe a couple points. Uh, but uh, uh, Well, according to Ken Palm, they have Auburn at the computer mile has Auburn as a four-point favorite. Well, that that that's not necessarily what Vegas will do. I know. Uh, I'm just saying that's usually a pretty good. That's usually around the ballpark of what it usually is with Vegas lines. So I I would I would tend to think Arkansas would be favored. I I do think it will still be a, a very close line though. Okay, um, moving on, guys. This one struck me about. Uh, this is in the category where I call, wow. Ole Miss star running back Quinchon Jumpkins. He's informed the Rebel staff that he plans to enter the transfer portal. This comes from Matt Zentz uh, and Nathan King at 247. What do you make of that, guys? Yeah, TP and I spent a good bit of time at the open of the show discussing it. I think that uh, there's probably an educated guess that there's a little tampering going on and that there's the the desire to make significantly more money than he is now because we talked about how Ole Miss should be in line to be a really, really good team next year. They're going to be probably preseason top 10 in the country. Uh, I don't think it's going out on a limb to say that. So uh, I think this is about money, honestly. Uh, Is it pairing money with still another great opportunity to be a playoff team? Maybe. Uh, There's some talk of a team like Miami, who TP brought up. Uh, I I personally think it makes sense if Clemson finally wanted to do something in the portal. They'll have a need there. Obviously, some Auburn people are going to think about Auburn. I could see him going to to Texas, to Alabama. I mean, I think that a lot of a lot of the big schools should be in on Quinshaw Junkins. Okay, and I guess it is called now. Show me the money game, right? I, I think I think so. Yeah, and I think especially in this case. Okay, uh, moving on, guys. Um, about our football team, there's a. Uh, Writer or columnist, uh, he goes by the name of Duke, Phil Dukes or Duke Scoops. Yep. And he had a column today that I found, well, wow, this is an interesting take here. Uh, his sources are pretty reliable. And uh, he's talking about the quarterback issue. Of course, uh, Caden Salter, he said, he says uh, here is not a done deal to Auburn. And apparently is being pursued by Ohio State and Oklahoma. And he went on to say that uh, he's been told that Salter. Uh, prefers a wide-open passing attack. And then he goes on to say, I'm not sure if Auburn is out and a major push could come, but right now it's not far from a sure thing. But the more intriguing part, he talks about our own quarterback issues. He says here, I am told Auburn is currently evaluating quarterback targets and will only go after what they feel is the perfect fit. Goes on to say Auburn going to the spring with the current quarterback room is a real possibility. And from what I hear, he says, Auburn's offensive staff has taken equal accountability with the players for the poor performance in Music City Bowl and believes they can win with the quarterbacks already on the roster with improved game planning and offensive line play. 
Uh, your thoughts, guys, about his sources and those comments from his sources. Well, that's what we heard from Hugh Freeze going into the bowl game. Really, is is you know you you heard a couple rumors of them going after a certain you know not not necessarily going after but making a some sort of play at at a you know a Riley Leonard and a uh, and Cam Ward there uh, has come out in the last few days that they they made a little bit of a play at them. But that's kind of what you heard all all pre pre bowl action from Hugh Freeze is that it was uh, you know you had a real possibility of going into this spring and then the, in the next fall camp with the these quarterbacks here and there'd be an open competition uh and it was really not until after that bowl game that you heard a little bit different and you know it, it feels like from what you just read to us it feels like it, it may have been a little bit of you know frustration at how the bowl game went down they went back in uh you know talked it out a little bit and you know you're you get back on the level level ground after after that and you you feel like you're you're still in a good spot especially with the the wide receiver class you've got coming in that can step up and help uh help the this, these quarterbacks here and then you know the the play that they've been making the last year uh since Hugh Freeze got here is trying to improve that offensive line and so it it really it, it feels like and I may be completely wrong on this but it feels like the you know the Hugh Freeze made the comments about reevaluating everything uh, and it was a little bit of frustration of how the bowl game went down and, every, and everything. They went back, let everybody you know calm down a couple days, then met, uh, and you know you're you're back to where you you thought you were before the bowl game. And said, hey, you know these guys, if, if we can put, give them a, give them a competition here and and uh, you know get them in the, the room with some some offensive linemen and some of these wide receivers we got coming in, uh, they can win some more football games than they did this year. Well, the reason I also bring this up because. You know, I thought, well, you know, if Salter, according to uh, Duke's uh, comments, if Salter is being pursued by Ohio State, he says he prefers a wide-open passing attack. I don't see that, uh, that our team qualifies for a wide-open passing attack, guys. Uh, and, you know, I'm wondering, well, if that's what he wants, I don't think that's probably uh, going to be the fit uh, for him uh, with Auburn. And then I'd like to ask you guys also, as a follow-up, uh, what do you think – Freeze is looking for when he says he's looking for a perfect fit. Well, the first part of that I want to say is yes, Auburn was not wide open passing in any way, but also remember that's still the philosophy of Hugh Freeze is to be a much more uh, proficient passing attack. That's that's the history of him at Ole Miss and at Liberty to throw it way more than they did this year. Obviously. It was not going well, so they could not open it up. They did not have the receivers. They did not have the quarterback play. They didn't even have the O-line play at times. And so, yeah, of course it was not wide open passing this year, but that does not mean that's not what Hugh Freeze hopes to hopes to accomplish at some point. So I will say that. And then as far as what the perfect fit is, I mean, I think that's about, I think that's about philosophy too, and I think that's about – being able to uh, understand the offense, understand RPO reads, uh, understand why they're doing what they're doing, uh, be able to play with pace at times, be able to make these these tough sideline throws, uh, and again, be able to be balanced, be able to be somebody that can run at times. Again, Freeze uh, has had some guys that are more mobile than others. Uh, he had the old Miss guys like Bo Wallace who – would not be incredibly fleet of foot, that but would be willing to run. 
Uh, and then he's had faster guys, too, like obviously Malik Willis at Liberty. And, and even Peyton Thorne ended up running a good bit at the end of the day. So he usually looks for a guy that can at least have some balance to what he's doing. So, again, I think fit is about the philosophy of the RPO offense. And then I think it's about being able to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I used to wide open. I said, well, if he wants a wide open pass attack, I'm not sure that we're there yet. Uh, we'll have to see. All right, moving on real quickly, guys. I just saw the rankings, uh, according to this individual, of uh, the uh, SEC football schedules from the easiest to hardest. It comes from college football headquarters. Uh, have you seen that? It, uh, who's the uh, story by James Parks? He ranks, uh, according to his uh, criteria, the uh, easiest to hardest uh, SEC uh, schedules for next year. Where do you think Auburn, uh, he placed them? I would say on the easier half of things, I'd probably say a fourth, fifth easiest schedule somewhere in there. Yeah, well, uh, he went from easiest, so uh, he has Auburn number 12 as being uh, the easiest. So you're about right, yeah, about fourth. Yeah, 16 uh, teams, so yeah, that would be yeah. yeah, about fifth, yeah. Who do you think he has as having the most difficult schedule, number one? Florida. Got to be Florida. I, I, wow. You know, you ought to write your own articles. <laughs> well, so if you remember, we, we didn't necessarily incorporate the non-conference component of it, but back when they released the opponents for the SEC back in the summer, we spent a day or so kind of power ranking what we thought about these schedules. And when we looked at Florida's, I mean, it was just – it was ghastly. And, and then you add the non-conference. Again, I keep telling you – their second easiest game in the non-conference, easiest, is UCF. And I just want to remind you again that, A, UCF beat them in a bowl game two years ago. B, UCF is a Power 5 program now. And C, UCF has had a pretty decent run of things with portal and roster management, that sort of thing. They'll probably be picked in the top half of the Big 12 next year. And again, that's your second easiest non-conference game because you're playing Miami and you're playing Florida State. You're, you're having the Florida Bowl. Uh, down there. And so you couple that with knowing that you've got five or six really tough ones in the SEC, it's it's going to be really a, a, a challenge just to get the six wins, even if they are better than this year. So, yeah, they, they are uh, – B- Billy, Billy Napier is probably pretty close to a lame duck coach right now. Okay, fair enough. Everything you said has a lot of merit. I was going to go uh, – I picked before I saw the list uh, – Vanderbilt. I looked at their schedule and said, dang, they're playing Virginia Tech. Then they got to play at Missouri. Then they got to play Alabama. Then they got to play at Kentucky. Then they got to play Texas. Then they got to play uh, us here. Uh, then they got to play South Carolina at LSU and Tennessee. Uh, I thought maybe they should be number one in toughest schedule. Uh, I mean, it's certainly up there. Uh, life in the SEC is very difficult, and especially for Vandy. Um, I, I think, though, I think you're probably looking at just a couple of easy non-conference games. I think that's the difference there. I think the SEC slate is probably very comparable, if not maybe a smidge more difficult. But you got Alcorn State and Georgia State and Ball State. That's way different than having UCF and, and, and Miami and stuff in there. So I, I think that's probably about the non-conference portion of it. And only one of those okay. is an actual state. <laughs> yes. I just wouldn't want to play either uh, uh, Florida's or uh, Vanderbilt schedule. So. Nope. Uh, Guys, real quickly, you know, yesterday I mentioned that uh, the Tampa Bay Times uh, sports writers by the name of Joey Knight and Matt Baker had come up with eight ideas uh, that they saw to fix the bowl season. Uh, and so there was some I left out. I want to get your thoughts real quickly. One is they proposed, how about 
NIL packages for the bowl games as incentives. Uh, like, say, the Orange Bowl said uh, sponsor uh, Capital One could offer uh, NIL packages for top players. Says okay. And then they went on to say, how about moving the non-playoff bowls to the spring, guys? Interesting. Uh That'd be kind of weird. That'd be like I've been talking about how some of these bowl games have functioned as a go between between the this current season and the next season. That would be the definition of transitioning into the next year. That would I don't know if that would work. I think people would have to move on by then. I, I think that kind of I uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I like that one. I don't like okay, that. One. How about this? Another one or what they call week zero. All games would count as non conference contests. And but he said they say we certainly would draw far larger audiences than the lower tier bowls. And moreover, he says the, the bowl committees could still build out their bell and whistle amenities, uh, making a unique experience with higher ratings and relevance. Everyone wins. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, basically making a uh, a, a a game that's counting towards the twelve game regular season, just calling it a bowl game and putting it on that neutral field to start the year. Is that what that is? Yeah. 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 I, uh, you know, I don't hate that one. The, the thing I I would hate is that you're taking a home game away from somebody. Uh, I I think that we're already bickering enough about some of these rivalry games that are on neutral fields like Florida, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas, etc. Uh, and I'm not. And we have a few kickoff games, and I think they're cool. But also, I think so much about the college environment, the college game, is getting to play these games on campuses, and so. Uh, you'd A, kind of be eliminating a game because these teams, I guess, would be only playing their 12-game schedule and this would just be a part of a part of that. And then, two, that means some teams might end up with only five home games uh, that, that could be pretty big schools. So, I, you know, I, I don't hate it, but for those reasons, that would not be that would be not something I would necessarily endorse. All right. What do you think of this? Revenue sharing. They suggest that uh, players get a cut of the bowl money, and that would persuade some athletes to stick around. Maybe. Uh, it depends on what that cut is, how much money is available, how much money these bowls make and the schools make off of them. Uh, I know I know. in general the ratings for this bowl season have been pretty good. I, 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 I'd have to go through every example to kind of uh, get give the point out, but I've seen several, several games up in the three, four, five million uh, millions of viewers even the orange bowl which was down in ratings and was a drub fest still got 10 million viewers so a lot of these bowl games did get good viewership i don't know what that means financially i don't know if there's certain benchmarks that incentivize that i, I don't know uh so i would just want to know the more more of the figures before i'd commit to something like that but that, that's 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 something that could be put on the table okay here's your final one and this one intrigued me how about giving players contracts when a player signs with a the school, they're there for a fixed, mutually agreed upon period of time. The school can't cut them as long as they stay out of trouble, and the player cannot transfer unless the coach leaves. Yeah, so for some, this would be, I mean, this is a professional-style contract, right? I mean, that's, that's ex- essentially what it is. I feel like that would be disheartening in a way because that, I mean, you can you can still try to hold on to some semblance of this is still amateur athletics and that sort of thing and, and, and maybe live in your own little space or world thinking that because there's not a set in stone contracts and and all that. But once you have something so firm, 
I think for a lot of people, the the psychology of that would change a little bit. I personally, I know it's probably not the popular opinion. I wouldn't hate that because, again, I've been about transparency, and I'd love to know all these real NIL figures and, and how it's working out and what these schools are spending. Like I feel like we're not going to stop paying these people at this point, so why don't we just have as much information about it as possible? Again, some would subscribe to I don't want to know, uh, you know, I just see no evil type of thing. But uh, I, I, I think we've gone so far uh, that I would kind of appreciate transparency. Uh, but certainly if you are actually doing something like that, that is a contract and that could be collectively bargained. That could be getting into all the issues of the professional league. So that would be, I think the final step towards not being amateur athletics anymore. And I don't think a lot of people, uh, would be good with that. Okay. Well, those are some of the ideas they had promoted on there. Uh, moving on real quickly, you know, we've got the, uh, final week of uh, NFL games. And your team, I say your team, Tampa, is on the ropes. Uh, but they're playing a woeful, I mean, an abysmal Carolina Panthers team. And I'm saying, why is the line only five and a half points, guys? Because Tampa only won by three in Tampa. <laughs> I mean, it's not, this is still professional football. It ain't college. And it's very tough to blow out teams. Uh, who has the motivation that they got to win this game? Is Tampa. Tampa's got to uh, win, but Carolina's not going to take a nap. That's still a division I know team. Not take a nap, but I thought Tampa, uh, the talent level is a little bit better, and they should be at least a, a touchdown favorite. Yeah, I mean, and look, that, that five and a half is not far off a touchdown. I mean, that 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 could happen uh, for sure. But uh, I I think that again, the, you did not have a blowout in Tampa. You were going to Carolina. Tampa played awful last week against New Orleans. Carolina has been terrible this year. Get it. They did beat Atlanta, though. So there is some familiarity with division opponents, and that's why Carolina is going to want to give it a try. They're, they're, they are they might as well because they don't have their draft pick. They can't change where they're picking in the second round. They're, gonna, they're the worst team in the NFL record-wise. That's official. And so they have no reason not to play hard. Some of those guys that are going to be playing playing for contracts – this the, again, it's the last opportunity to play this year, and they don't benefit at all by losing. So they're they're not going to lay down, and knowing that they're not going to lay down, knowing that this game was close in Tampa, I, I don't see why Tampa would blow them out. I don't. Or, or win easily. Okay. Okay, well, uh, I hope this is your proof of your team. I like Tampa, uh, that they uh, uh, can pull it out. Oh, I hope um, so too, man. <laughs> I hope so too. I'm just, I have my doubts. Well, I, I hope you don't have any doubts. Um, I mean, look at just at the papers that we got. They, they should, they should, they shouldn't struggle with this team. Uh, speaking of struggles, guys, real quickly, Bleacher Report put out uh, their hot seat coaches in the NFL, and this guy, I forgot what his name is, uh, says this is a lock. This coach will be fired at the end of the season. Who do you think he picked? Uh, some of them have already been fired that were locks. Uh Ron Rivera, Washington. There you go. Very good. You should be. Um, you've got to uh, get a job as a uh, sports writer or sports journalist. In. That's who he picked, Ron Rivera. Yeah, uh, I like Ron. I thought he did a good job in Carolina. It has not worked out in Washington. Uh, I think he's just kind of run his course as an NFL head coach. And they had roster issues too. They're pl- playing Sam Howell, who's a mid-round draft pick. I love Sam coming out of Carolina, but is he a starter in the NFL? Eh, probably not. Uh, and, and so the, you have that. They traded their defense away around the deadline. They, they just they just are they're in rebuild mode, and, and he's he's not going to be a part of that. 
you will see yeah. Ron Rivera on like a Sunday night football as an analyst or something like that. He, he's a really smart dude, but like I agree with Ryan on that. I think uh, I think his time as an NFL head coach is over. Well, I also thought this guy's time was over, but he didn't mention his name. And that's you know who Belichick. Yeah, that one's going to be the one around NFL circles. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and I think there's going to be. I was watching some reporting today. There's going to be a Monday meeting between him and the Kraft family. And that's going to determine his fate. I think they're going to give him the opportunity to say why this year was a failure and what ways they can improve on it and why he can still lead them in the future. I certainly think his time as an NFL head coach is not done regardless. I do think he'll be walking a sideline next year. I think he'll be scooped up by somebody if he is fired. But uh, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I would love to be a fly on the wall uh, for that meeting on Monday. And, uh, again, most reporting still thinks he will get fired, but uh, it is not a foregone conclusion. All right, finally, really finally, guys, because uh, this one is a little bit uh, – uh, uh, I, I said, well, this, this doesn't sound good. But there's rumors floating on a number of websites, Auburn websites, on 3, 247 Sports last night, that uh, Zach Etheridge uh, may be leaving to go to Texas A&M because his father – uh, but also, the name was mentioned, Cadillac may also be on the outs. Guys, have you heard anything uh, regarding those two people? Uh, no, I, I've not really seen much. Uh, again, I've not seen the, the major beat guys pick pick those up yet. Obviously, they did get, and we've not really done a good job of talking about it on the show, but Charles Kelly is coming from Colorado. He is a right. def- defensive – he is a secondary guy. Obviously, Wesley McGriff and Zach Etheridge worked on the secondary – uh, so I thought that was more to replace McGriff, but I think he would be able to do the whole secondary if he needed to. Um, but I, I have not heard anything specific about those two. And I've not seen anything official about uh, the status with McGriff. Is he gone? Uh, yes, I believe McGriff is gone. I forgot uh, where at the exact moment. But, yeah, he, he, he is not going to be a part of the, the coaching staff. Okay, I, I love uh, McGriff. But anyway, that's it, guys. Thank you for listening uh, to my uh, comments, and I always love uh, your takes on things. So y'all have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll get more into the uh, basketball mode hopefully uh, tomorrow afternoon. Until then, Warrior, guys. Warrior Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Uh, it was Texas A&M for Wesley McGriff. I know he just mentioned that was Zach Efridge. Maybe, maybe some wires got crossed and – uh, maybe maybe they b- b- both are being rumored. I don't know, but McGriff is going to A and M. So yeah, I haven't seen anything about uh, Etheridge and or Cadillac Williams as of yet. Yeah, so I know Cadillac certainly. I mean, both those guys being Auburn guys, uh, either one would be a, a tough pill to swallow. Uh, but it, it would not be a freeze decision. Obviously, it would be a they decision. They were to go somewhere else. But again, I, I've not really seen anything concrete about those things. But yeah, Charles Kelly coming over to be. In that uh, secondary room, uh, he was under some consideration for the coordinating job a couple of year, or last year uh, when Auburn did hire Ron Roberts, uh, and then obviously Kelly went with Colorado. Weird situation there. I know that the defense was putrid at Colorado. I don't think that that was all on him. I think that's also part of having like fifty-five new players. I'm gonna say, I, Dion. Uh, I believe Dion uh, had really good things to say about uh, Kelly as a coach. He, he, there was a lot of personnel stuff, as, as you, I think you were alluding to there, uh, with that with that defensive thing. But uh, I don't think I think Dion did not. You know, he was he, he never said anything bad about 
the the way Charles Kelly coached and ran that defense. And of course, Kelly has a a long running history with good programs and in college football dating back to uh, particularly the Florida State time. He was a part of that staff when they won the title in 13. He became uh, elevated to their defensive coordinator for 14, uh, their their second year, the first year of the playoff, uh, and was there for four years. Uh, had a stop with special teams at Tennessee before going to Alabama. Was assistant defensive coordinator there for a few years and got back to the head D.C. job there with Colorado. Then weird demotion, promotion, that type of stuff there at the end of the year. Uh, and, of course, he's not coming here to be the D.C. He's coming here to work uh, with the secondary and be maybe a co-D.C. with Ron Roberts. But, uh, obviously, Kelly, uh, I know going much further back, but he's also an Auburn man too. Obviously went to uh, uh, went to Auburn and, and did uh, do some GA stuff here at Auburn back in the in the 90s. So, again, just not as recent as the Etheridge and, and Williams stuff, but he is uh, an Auburn guy, and I guess McGriff was too. So Or <laughs> McGriff had been there. Uh, a couple different times and that sort of thing. So uh, they have c- continued to try and hire those ties uh, for sure, uh, which is something that has happened a little bit more um, than it did under the, the previous staff and that sort of thing. Uh, any words about Kelly or anything before we uh, take our end of timeout? Yeah, I, I just – I remember I didn't get the chance to talk about it because I wasn't here whenever Kelly did get hired. I saw some Auburn fans were really confused because – they didn't really look – they just saw that he was the Colorado D.C. And uh, like you said, they, they had 55 new players there. But here's what I'll say about Charles Kelly. I love Charles Kelly as a recruiter. He can recruit so well. He recruited really well at Bama, which you could say, oh, well, is that Alabama? No, he also recruited really well at Florida State. And he, he is just a mastermind of a recruiter. So I think that was a huge get for Auburn to get. If you want to be able to get top defensive-level prospects, you know, we saw Auburn get top-level wide receivers last year. I think Charles Kelly's going to do a really good job and get some really good talent here in this next cycle with uh, the Tigers. Yeah, so again, McGriff had the, the ties just from working in Auburn a couple other times. Uh, and, of course, Kelly has the ties with Auburn because of going to Auburn and, uh, and being a GA back in the 90s. So – He's part of the staff. We'll, of course, let you know of any other staff changes. Uh, certainly the Philip Montgomery angle is going to be interesting. Still no movement on yet. I'm not sure of a concrete timetable there. Obviously, the longer it goes, the more likely uh, that he'll return. But, uh, but yeah, the, the major – really the only major thing right now, McGriff going to Texas A&M, Charles Kelly coming in, be co-DC, work with the defensive backs at Auburn. We are out of time in hour number two. Coming up in hour number three – We'll get to our NFL discussion. It is a Thursday, and we always try to hit on as many NFL games as we can, so we'll try to get to that. Uh, We were going to play some Bruce Pearl audio today. Uh, We'll have to save that for tomorrow when we do a more complete SEC basketball preview and uh, and look at the Auburn-Arkansas game. So that Bruce Pearl audio will be aired uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll, we'll be able to do that and get to that. But coming up in hour number three, again, we got some NFL, so stay tuned. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app, or after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola.
two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday as we transition into the final hour of the show. We want to get to the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Uh, John Harden and Brian Watts are all your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756. Or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Now, the 5 at 5 does not work out perfectly numerically for the division races still remaining in the NFL. So we're going to do uh, we're going to do the four division races that still remain uh, plus one that has some other playoff scenarios. Uh, still involved for wild cards. So, again, we're going to go through some uh, NFL playoff scenarios and through the divisions not locked up so far on the 5 at 5 today. So, first up, number one. Over in the AFC, things not locked up. In the AFC East, Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills, and just so convenient that they will play each other this weekend. So, that'll be a game we'll talk about in just a second. So, 11 and 5 Dolphins, 10 and 6 Bills coming up this weekend. That is one division that is not locked up. Number two. The AFC South. Top three teams, all nine and seven. Jags, Colts, and Texans. We'll get the precursor first. Saturday night's game is the Colts and the Texans. And the winner will probably make the playoffs in some capacity. Uh, But will they make the division? Will they not? There's also some scenarios for Pittsburgh. A few things to get into there. But a good shot at making the playoffs Jacksonville will have Tennessee this weekend. Tennessee 5-11, not necessarily playing for anything. Their draft stock is interesting. Uh, So the AFC South, all three teams there, Jacksonville, Indy, and Houston, all live. Number three. On the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. We turn to the NFC East. Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles, both 11-5, but Dallas – has the tiebreaker right now. And, uh, again, pretty amazing to see uh, what has become of that division and how much Philadelphia has struggled there at the end of the season. And uh, so that has put Dallas in a win position. If they beat the Commanders, then they end up uh, becoming the two seed. They can't get the one because San Francisco's locked it up, but they can be the two seed. They haven't lost at home this year, so that would be a pretty – Good position to be in if you're Dallas. Next up. 
Number four. NFC South Division. Steve brought this up a little bit in his phone call. Uh, pretty simple scenario. Tampa Bay, if they beat Carolina in Bank of America Stadium on Sunday, the Buccaneers win the division. If they lose it, they lose the division, and that means the Falcons-Saints winner wins it. So uh, either the Saints are able to improve to above 500 and win it at 9-8, and eight, or the Falcons win a three-team tie. At 8-9. Of course, 8-9 won the division last year. The Bucks were able to beat the Panthers Week 17, get to 8-8. Eight eight. They then kind of took the week off against Atlanta and played the Stars about a quarter. So they ended up below 500 last year winning the division. We'll see if history repeats itself again. That would have to be the Falcons this year under that scenario. And last up on the sports call, 5-5, five at five, presented by Southeastern Land Group, looking at uh, five of the biggest playoff scenarios or games with playoff implications this weekend. Number five. Very important one for the Green Bay Packers. They looked that they were in big trouble. They lost back-to-back weeks to the Giants and to the Bucs. Uh, and the Bucs game was in Lambeau. They beat Carolina narrowly. And then they walloped Minnesota last weekend. And now they play the Chicago Bears division rival. The Bears can tie them up record-wise, but the Bears do not have any playoff scenarios. They will not make it. Uh, but they can ruin it for Green Bay. If Green Bay wins, they're in. If they're out, there's some scenarios for a couple other teams uh, in the NFC wildcard picture. I believe mainly Seattle, although I think Minnesota has a scenario if, if a couple of them lose, they can still get in there. Uh, so great scenarios throughout the playoffs, this or not the playoffs this week, but through the last regular season week this week. That's the sports call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Lane Group 5. Uh, division slash wild card implicating games this weekend. If you go through them, I'm going to real quickly just humor me for just a moment. I'm going to go through, I'm just going to name all 16 games for you. I'm going to tell you if the game has something to do with the playoffs or not in week 18. We start with Saturday, Steelers, Ravens, it absolutely does, has one. Uh, Steelers trying to make the playoffs. Game two, Texans, Colts, absolutely does, has playoff implications, could win the division, could be a wild card. Uh, noon games on Sunday. Bucks Panthers absolutely does. Uh, Bucks win the division with a win. Uh, Browns and Bengals. That one I don't think does. Even though they are good teams, Bengals can't make it. They're out. Browns can't move off the five line. They can't win that division. They can't drop to six. So that one does not. So there's your first one. Vikings Lions does because Vikings still have some playoff scenarios. They need a lot of help, and the Lions can't really move. They could get to two. Can't get to one. But it does. Jets-Patriots does not. Falcons-Saints does, not only because if Tampa loses, the winner wins, but the, I think the Saints still have a wild-card scenario, too, at 8-8. Eight eight. If they were to win that game, get to 9-8, they still have a shot if Green Bay loses. So that's up to 5. Jaguars-Titans does because that is like the Bucks. If the Jags win at Tennessee, they win the division. If they lose that game, they might end up missing the playoffs, depending on what uh, all occurs in all the other games. So that's six. Seahawks-Cardinals does because Seahawks still trying to get in with the wild card there. Bears-Packers does because the Packers win. They get the wild card spot. So we're at the eight. No Chiefs-Chargers. That one does not matter. Uh, Broncos-Raiders I don't think matters. Broncos are now uh, out of the situation even though they are eight and eight. Eagles-Giants does. I'm counting it because if the Cowboys lose the Commanders, then the Eagles win that division. They automatically go up to either the th- three or two line, depending on what Detroit does. So that one still does. Rams 49ers does not, actually, it unless you want to count seeding. I guess we can. We can count seeding. Rams can drop to seven. They are in the playoffs. 
They will secure a wild card. They could drop from six to seven, though. Uh, and so they cannot move up to five. San Francisco cannot move down for one, but we'll count it because the Rams could move to seven, so that's ten. Of course, Cowboys, Commanders, we told you about that does. That's 11 because Cowboys can win the division with a win there. And then, of course, the big one Sunday night, Bills, Dolphins. Winner wins the division. Doesn't get more uh, big than that this time of year. So 12 of the 16 games have playoff implications, either seeding or the ability to get in or to miss out. That's a pretty good rate here. Uh, for the final week of the year. So, guys, I'm going to let you. I've been bumping my gums for 10 minutes. You guys start wherever you want with uh, what interests you with these playoff-implicating games this weekend. I think there – I mean, there's a lot of really fun ones. And I saw the scenario yesterday on uh, ESPN's Get Up. The one that I think is fascinating to me is that the Bills could be completely left out of the playoffs if they lose. Now, if they win, they could be the two seed, but they could if they don't, they could literally fall out of the playoffs. So I think that's going to be really interesting because they, they don't have an easy game. They have to go to Miami. So and Miami definitely wants to get that bad taste out of their mouth after they just got steamrolled by Baltimore. So that one's going to be really interesting to follow. And the uh, Colts uh, – Texans because whoever wins that game is going to get the wild card spot which I don't think we thought we'd say that in week two but uh here we are now so and it's even crazier because the Colts are doing this all without Anthony Richardson this is the Gardner Minshew show so him and Shane Steichen their head coach have done really well and as has the uh, Texans with D'Amico Ryans and CJ Stroud so that one's gonna be really fun on a uh, Saturday night and uh I'm looking forward to um those two games for sure, and uh, I'm interested to see who finally we can finally put to bed who wins the NFC South. It's the the train wreck that is that division will finally be put to rest, like a screaming child into the night. It could be uh, it could be Ryan's Buccaneers fire the boats, as I said earlier this season, or it could be the Saints who I don't want to win, or it could be our very own Falcons on this station. So. Um, I'm not sure who's going to win that. I think the Bucks are going to be able to – I don't think it'll start off well, but I do think they'll come back and win that one because I know Baker's dealing with a little bit of an injury. And uh, I, I do think the Bucks are going to win that one by about six or seven points. But uh, I think Tampa Bay is going to punch their ticket to the postseason. But those are the games I'm really interested in this weekend. Uh, the, the ones – I'll tell you what. There's a lot that I'm interested in. I'll go ahead and get the first one out of the way. I'm interested in the Patriots-Jets game because it's my team. Uh, and mainly I just <laughs> want to see the Patriots be able if, – if the Patriots have a chance. They've been bad all year. But they still have a chance to sweep the Jets this year, a Jets team that came into the, the season with high hopes. Uh, obviously Aaron Rodgers getting hurt that week one really dashed a lot of those hopes. Uh, but the, the Patriots have a shot to, to sweep a division rival uh, in, in the regular season. And so that's why I'm interested in that game. Plus, it's my team. Plus, I don't want to see Bill Belichick. I just get fired. wanted to remind you. I said playoff implication games. <laughs> I I know, but it, it's it's still I it, it's it it interests me. Um, other other than that, both Saturday games are going to be really interesting. The 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 Steelers. Uh, still have a out, uh, chance to get into those playoffs. Uh, are currently on NFL.com, if they win, they got a 66% chance of making the playoffs if, if they get the win uh, over the Ravens on Saturday. Um, Ravens are not waving the white flag, but they're not throwing out their full allotment of guys out there. They're they're like, we're good, you know, we're we're in the playoffs. Not not a lot can change here. 
Um, and so they're going, they're coming into this. It, so it's going to be interesting. Can the Steelers get get the job done? Same thing with the Texans. The Texans are, are on the outside looking in. Uh, with the win, NFL.com right now is them at a 99% chance to get into the playoffs with the win. Uh, and so you, 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 know, you punch your ticket in, basically. Um, if you lose... It's a one percent chance uh, to win, so you, you got to get in there. Uh, currently, they've got a fifty three percent chance, according to NFL dot com, to make the playoffs. Uh, so Houston, uh, it's it's a win and you're in. Uh, Colts, same thing. You you win and you're in. Uh, in, in that uh, on Sunday, uh, a couple games that that I'm interested in. Obviously, I'm interested in the the game that we're going to have right here on our airwaves, the Falcons and uh, Saints, mainly because. Uh, as you mentioned, Ryan, the, if the if your Buccaneers don't get the job done against Carolina, winner of that game wins the division, and they're in the playoffs. The Saints, uh, you, you mentioned, still have an outside shot at getting in. Uh, if the Saints win, they got a fifty-one percent chance of making the playoffs. Uh, if you know, uh, as it, as it currently stands, if they lose, less than one percent, you can't you can't get in there. Uh, other than that. Uh, Chicago Green Bay is really, really interesting to me. Uh, you know, the, the Packers are fighting for a, a spot right now. They're currently in, uh, trying to get, uh, trying to secure one of those last two, uh, playoff spots. And so if they can get the job done over the bears, uh, at home, it, you, you've got a chance to, uh, you've got a really good chance to get into those playoffs. Um, also, uh, you know, the, the other NFC South game, that Tampa Bay Carolina game, obviously if Tampa Bay wins, they're in, uh, Carolina, nothing, nothing's going to change there. Uh, they eliminated a long time ago. Nothing's going to change for their draft stuff. They still don't have a number one. They still don't have their first round pick. Uh, but Tampa Bay, you know, you, you got to win this game to, to make those playoffs. Uh, it is, it, it is imperative to, to do that. And so then you go to uh, you go to the other game, uh, the NFC East game, that Dallas Washington game. Uh, I think is really interesting. Can Dallas get the job done away from your uh, away from uh, AT and T Stadium? Can they officially get that uh, get get that spot, get that division? Can they lock it down uh, and beat a, a team that that's really you know got nothing to lose in in the Commanders? And then of course that Sunday night game to round things out that that Bills and, and Dolphins game is just it, it's going to be fun. It, I think it's the most expensive ticket in the league this weekend. Uh, there's you know, there's some reports out there that it may be more uh, Bills fans showing up than than Dolphins fans, which I. I Kind of feel like that shouldn't be the case, but they travel really well. Uh, but to, if, if can Josh Allen and that Buffalo Bills team rally from a, a point in the season where they were just they they didn't look great. There there was a point in the season that you you were starting to be like, is this really gonna you know are, are they gonna make the playoffs? And so they've rallied uh, to to be at this point a chance to win the division, win the AFC East. Uh, make me, you know, gag a little bit, and uh, yeah, so there's quite a few games that I'm 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 looking out for uh, this weekend that are uh, that are really really interesting to me. You know, I, I you brought up your your team, the Patriots facing the Jets, and I I wanted to bring up the Bears. I forgot to. Uh, did you know that the Bears last beat Green Bay in Lambeau in 2015? We play them every year in Lambeau. Reminder, and we just. We cannot win there. We are really doing well right now since we've acquired Montez Sweat, and I'd love nothing more than to knock Green Bay out of the playoffs. But we just haven't won there since Jay Cutler was our starting quarterback. So, I mean, I think I think the Packers are probably going to win because I don't know why. They just they have our number. So, 
And uh, I think that'll be a really good football game. But like always against Green Bay, I think Green Bay is going to beat Chicago. <laughs> uh, that would be a uh, big thorn in the side, though, for Green Bay if Chicago can uh, take them out on their home field again. Uh, that would be uh, be something that would be very regrettable. We heard Joe Bartle of Rotowire, uh, our guest on Wednesdays throughout this year. Uh, he is a Packers fan and talked about uh, how losing playoff clinching scenarios two years in a row uh, could be a fireable offense. And uh, I certainly can see the, the line of thinking there. Uh, I think that, again, this week does shape up to be every bit of what the NFL wanted it to be when they add the seventh playoff spot in each conference. You have more teams involved there. And as we said, 12 of the 16 games have the playoff implications. So you're looking at everything from Saturday afternoon to Sunday night deciding playoff battles. And those Saturday games, because of the deal where you have the Ravens not playing Lamar or not really supposed to play Lamar, that opens up a completely different situation. Lamar's going to win MVP this year. So you don't have the MVP playing. Pittsburgh's got a great chance of winning that game. Uh, when you're looking at Houston and Indianapolis, in fact, Pittsburgh is favored to win that game, by the way, uh, even though it's in Baltimore. Houston and Indianapolis is obviously very important because they don't know what will happen in Jacksonville the next day, but they can put themselves in a great position to at least have a wild card spot locked up with a win, especially if Pittsburgh loses. So the Saturday games are of great importance. Uh, and look, the Cowboys, if you're going to the NFC scenarios, Cowboys should – be able to handle Washington. Washington uh, has not been good. Uh, the beauty of the last week of the NFL is that they do make this all divisional games. So you never really know how much a team is going to want to stick it to one of their rivals because you have this situation where obviously both guys, uh, both teams are wanting to uh, be able to eliminate the other in some situations. You're wanting to, even if you have just a few wins and you're talking about draft position, you have a situation where you can still take out a team you absolutely despise. Now, usually it might be at the hands of someone else you despise getting in, but that motivation to be responsible for someone not making it is valuable to some of these teams. So that would be the argument for Washington. Dallas has not been good on the road, but – I think surely to goodness Dallas can handle that and end up being the two seed, end up getting home field and except for the 49ers and put them in a really good position to at least make the NFC championship game. I mean, Dallas with that call, that incredibly controversial call against Detroit, that really set them up for this. And then also just the fact that Philly kept blowing games. They blew it to Arizona. Like when you're putting the two together, you say, well, where can you get a game? If you're Philadelphia, you say, well, Dallas lost to Arizona. We can, we can beat Arizona, and that could be the difference. Well, they lost to Arizona too, so their opportunity to have that difference uh, dissipates. Then you're talking about head-to-heads, and it didn't go well. And so uh, that one's a, a, a one they're going to lament for sure Philadelphia. Uh, and then uh, as for the South, which is the division we cover, again, we're the home of the Atlanta Falcons here. Uh, and – on Tiger 95.9, Falcons are can't, can't make the wild card. They can win the division with a win and the Bucks loss. Uh, and with that division, I think you saw a really good run of play from the Bucks. They won four straight and just face-planted 
at home against New Orleans. So you kind of it, – it's not that you lost a close one. You, you, you were getting beat pretty bad. So it kind of undone uh, undoes all of the proce- progress and, and, and everything that you had improved throughout the last several weeks. So it goes into a testing one against Carolina because same reasons. Carolina has – Nothing to lose. Uh, they they can't lose draft stock. They don't have it. They don't have their first round pick. Already going to be the worst record team in the league. They did beat Atlanta. So back to the NFC East conundrum. Tampa can say, well, the difference in the two can be you lost to Carolina. We didn't. But of course, you could blow that opportunity and therefore blow the division. So uh, Carolina's not going to lay over, lay down, lay over. They are the worst team in the league. But they've won two games. It's the NFL, and anything can happen. And Tampa is now on way shakier ground. Uh, probably going to get beat the winner of this game, whether it's the Bucks, Saints, Falcons winning this division. Probably going to get beat by the Eagles in the in the playoffs, but uh, still want to make the playoffs. And with Philly having some struggles, if you're losing to Arizona late in the year, maybe you're going to mess around and lose a game you shouldn't in the playoffs too. So, yeah, you still want to get in the dance, and you got 12 of these 16 games meaning a lot. Uh, is uh, is very healthy for the NFL. We're going to take another timeout. Back with more sports call right after this. Another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player, national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Starting to wind down this Thursday edition of the program. want to remind you about the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss something live or if you want to hear something again, go back and check it out. Wherever you may get your podcasts, Coca-Cola tastes the feeling. Some of the things we've talked about earlier today, had some phone calls, had some chatter about Auburn, Arkansas. Talked a little bit about the uh, Charles Kelly hire uh, and the Wesley McGriff departure. Uh, also talked uh, a little bit about the transfer portal because Quinshot Judkins entering of Ole Miss and uh, where his potential destinations could go. Talked a little bit about Auburn's quarterback uh, situation and Salter, the Liberty quarterback in the portal. If he'd be a fit at Auburn. So, talked a little bit of everything today on this Thursday edition of the program. Again, if you miss any of that, 
any of that, it's on the Sports Call podcast available wherever you may get your podcast. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be getting more into basketball as well as some more uh, football topics as uh, we continue to monitor the transfer portal, the coaching staff. I'll probably get a little bit more into Philip Montgomery tomorrow. Uh, also get into, uh, again, the Bruce Pearl audio, which we were not going to have time for today, previewing the Auburn-Arkansas game. And going to look a little bit around the SEC in, in the basketball landscape as we start to transition into the heart of basketball season. Auburn gets set for SEC play. Kind of give you a rundown of who's looking good, who's looking not so good in the SEC this year and what the Auburn schedule is going to look like, that sort of thing. So that's all ahead on tomorrow's show. Uh, right now, though, as we do each and every Thursday, we are talking a little NFL. Uh, so we want to conclude that, kind of put a bow on the regular season. Uh, again, we talked about the matchups coming up this weekend and how 12 of the 16 do have the playoff implications. And, guys, I want to hear from you as we start to wind down another regular season, kind of some of your surprising things from this year. What, what team or player – surprise you could be a positive way could be a negative way just compared to what you thought was going to happen this year what were some of your big takeaways and surprises so i'll go with a a surprise and a disappointment i'll do that uh biggest surprise is definitely the texans i mean i remember their win total was at about four four and a half somewhere in that ballpark maybe three and a half depending on what book you looked at and they're sitting there, and they could get to 10 wins with a first-year head coach and a first-year uh, quarterback. And it wasn't like they had revamped everything. It was a very boring offseason for them. You didn't see, like, a big move for them. You know, they had Laramie Tunsil. Their O-line wasn't great. Their receiving core was young at, at best. Um, and their defense was rebuilding. I mean, they had won two games last year, two or three, somewhere in that. I believe it was three. Uh, it was – not looking like much, and uh, they won 10 games. And I think D'Amico Ryans, I don't think he'll win the coach of the year. I think that's Stefanski because of what he's done with four quarterbacks, and that's just been incredible what he's done with Joe Flacco. But, um, you know, I think D'Amico Ryans has done a really good job. And uh, a disappointment, you know, there haven't been that many because it's kind of gone the way that I felt like it would. But uh, I would go with – Jacksonville. I know, so I you know, I know Trevor Lawrence may be playing a little banged up right now, but he is playing. You know, they started off eight and two, and I remember saying on this show back in like September, I thought this was the Jags' window. I thought they were going to make it to the Super Bowl, at least really close. And they were eight and two, and now they're nine and seven. And if they lose and Houston wins, Houston wins the division, and Jacksonville's in the wild card. So I mean, like. It has been really disappointing. You know, I thought Trevor Lawrence would take that next step into kind of that Herbert, Mahomes, you know, that that classification. But he's not been very good. And so maybe I don't know what they're going to do with this offseason. I'm not saying fire Doug Peterson. I think they just need to make some changes. Maybe that's offensive line. Maybe that's, you know, weapons or maybe that's defense. But I feel like the Jags or the Titans have been really disappointing this year. I think you could go that way. I just realized that I went with you know AFC South right there and I'm not even an AFC South guy but I feel like that division we didn't have much hope for outside of the Jags but it's been a really competitive and really fun division 
Yeah, I, I think one of my biggest surprises uh, is how I, I think one of my biggest surprises was how good the Dolphins' offense was out of the gate. Like that was just it was unprecedented numbers that they were putting up. Uh, heck, they put up what seventy points on on the the Broncos uh, early on in the season, uh, and you know they kind of come back down to earth a little bit more as the season's gone on. But how good that offense has really uh, stepped up because you know there there was you know just what a year ago people were talking about maybe it's time for the Dolphins to move off of Tua. He, he can't stay. Uh, he can't stay healthy. Well, he stayed healthy, and uh, Mike McDaniel's uh, was able to um, kind of mold that offense into something that Tua could really, really thrive in. And what they've done this year, I, I think, has been really, really surprising. Also, a surprise for me this year, uh, kind of going off of UTP, is that at the end of it, there are three AFC South teams in play for a playoff spot here. Uh, you know, you look at the beginning of the year, I think, you know, most people would have just said, oh, it's the Jaguars division, let's move on. Maybe the Colts will make a run at it, whatever, but this is, you know, that's it. Uh, the Texans have been, you know, surprisingly good. C.J. Stroud, uh, you know, making a case for Rookie of the Year. You've got the the Colts who have been uh, admirable this year. The the only down team was the the Titans, and, you know, you, you feel like if uh, they, they're they starting to, uh, to come back down to earth after a few years of Derrick Henry, uh, you know, dominating the AFC South, dominating for a while. Uh, it's, so it, it feels like it, it's you know they they've moved back down. Three teams have, have risen up and are, are competing for that uh, that spot. The disappointments this year. Uh, I think the Bengals is one of them. I, I think mainly that's you know attribute that to to Joe Burrow's health. Um, I think that's been a big disappointment. You out you, you really. Uh, we're expecting to see them continue to to fight and and you know probably win that division and or you know compete for that division at least and then uh, I'll go selfish. Another big disappointment is how bad the Patriots were. I I knew they weren't going to be good. I think a lot of people knew they weren't going to be good, but the fact that they were this bad, uh, a fact that you got to the point where you had to bench a starting quarterback and bring in a new guy or uh, elevate your backup <coughs> with Bailey Zappi. Uh, and then it, you know, it's got it got a little bit better when once you got Zappy in there, but it still was not, you know, not great. Uh, but the, just how bad the, the the Patriots actually were this year, uh, I think, was a really really a disappointment uh, to me personally. Uh, if if we're being honest, I'll start disappointing. Uh, <coughs> I think that overall the theme of the league disappointed how many quarterbacks were injured. Uh, it, it's hard to pick at some teams that have these quarterback woes. I know you mentioned Cincinnati, but if you told me that Joe Burrow is going to hit, uh, only going to play about four or five games this year, I would have said, yeah, probably not going to be better than 500. So that makes sense. Up and down the line, you, you see Kirk Cousins was starting to really get on a roll about five games in the year, and then five games later he's out. And Minnesota goes from being another playoff team to probably going to miss it again this year. And I can go up and down the list. Uh, I could do the rest of this show and not name all the quarterbacks that missed some time. Uh, so I think that was very disappointing. There's no big overarching thing that needs to happen. It was just a really rough year for for quarterback injuries. I think team-wise, the, the team I'm most disappointed in would be the Los Angeles Chargers. I understand Brandon Staley's not good, but to have one of the three or four worst defenses in the league and then to have Justin Herbert – and uh, you know he did miss the last few games here. Easton Stick had to come in, but guys, they're five and eleven. There's only one worst team in the AFC, and that's the New England Patriots record-wise. And so they're literally one of the two or three worst teams in the entire conference with a roster that I would think would be in the top half talent-wise, maybe top ten talent-wise in the NFL. Uh, and we were 
or at least I was heaping some praise on them in the, year, in the last year or two for trying to sign some of these big-name free agents, throw some money around while Herbert was on his rookie deal. And, I mean, they just did the absolute least with it. So I think the Chargers deserve a lot of criticism for how poor they were. Uh, I think whoever takes that job, though, is going to be a great opportunity. I, again, I think the roster's pretty good. I still think Herbert's good. Is he being a little overvalued? Okay, maybe there's a hint of that. But their defense was so damn bad that uh, I think anyone that goes in there that makes any gains defensively is going to open up a pretty quick rebuild for the Chargers. Uh, most positive surprise to me is the Cleveland Browns because it talked about injuries with uh, teams. If you told me Nick Chubb was going to get hurt in the first couple weeks of the year, you were going to tell me Deshaun Watson would only play a handful of games. You're going to tell me that Joe Flacco in 2023-24 year of our Lord would play competent football for them and that they would lead an 11-win Browns team. I would not have believed that. And I know other elements of their team are good. I know Amari Cooper's really good. I know David Njoku's a good tight end. I know their defense is, is really, really good. I get that. But it's the Cleveland Browns going through about as much adversity at the skill positions as you can have. And yet, they didn't miss a beat really any point this year. They're a pretty consistent team. Uh, Flacco is, again, rekindled something we've not seen in about a decade when he was in Baltimore. And so, again, I think the Browns deserve a lot of credit for – uh, not succumbing to those to those challenges. And uh, I talked about Cincinnati in their division for having Burrow hurt again. Uh, you know, the Browns held up so much better than the Bengals did. And maybe the, it was also because the Bengals were off to a bad start. But uh, the Browns really did a good job of surviving all those injuries. And so uh, I think they deserve a lot of praise. Uh, and then, you know, I, I'll give a little bit of praise. It's not a big surprise, I, I think, league-wide. I think people anticipate this. But a good pat on the back for the Lions for being a good, competent team, too. They still had another step to take based off of last year's team, and they absolutely took it. Uh, very well could be 12-4 and four right now if a call went differently for them in the Dallas game. And that would have them in competition for the one seed. Uh, and so I think Detroit checked the boxes this year. I was a little bit more in doubt of them than some other people. And so good on the Detroit Lions for having – again, these are two franchises, Lions and Browns. They don't do a whole lot of winning, uh, and yet they are 11-win uh, teams that are already solidly into the playoffs. So kudos to those teams uh, for having really good years and taking advantage of some of the chaos of these other teams and then, in the Browns' case, surviving their own situation. So really good stuff uh, from them. But, uh, yeah, again, the quarterback injuries have been so frustrating this season – there's been some oddly bad performances. Buffalo was really rough in the middle of the season, losing a bunch of weird games. Kansas City's lost some weird games. Some of the old reliables of the last three to five years have have really struggled a lot this year. And the last thing I want to say, and we'll head to our last break, is you know Buffalo, you guys mentioned it in our last segment. I do want to pound this point home for a moment. They could be out of the playoffs or the two seed. That's unbelievable. In fact, if they win on Sunday against Miami, they will be the two seed. Uh, they will be the two seed. They have the tiebreaker over Kansas City. They beat them. And so they'll be the two seed if they beat the Dolphins. If they lose the Dolphins, we'll see what else happened. But I think if the Steelers won and then the, and the Jags won and then you know whoever, as long as they're not a tie in Indy Houston, I think then Buffalo would be out. And so that's pretty unbelievable to have that kind of uh, drama in the last weekend of the season. So, uh, again, really looking forward to this week in the NFL. I'm going to be personally nervous uh, for three hours from about noon to 3 p.m. on Sunday. 
uh, at Bank of America Stadium. But I think that, uh, again, the product of the league, despite all the injuries at least, if you can't give this the highest quality, give us something that's very close and tough to discern. And the NFL has certainly delivered that this year. We're going to take one final break in this Thursday edition of the program. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with a nightly TV guide. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want to know how easy it is? to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn i'm deshaun davis former auburn tigers football player and all sec linebacker you're listening to sports call on tiger The sports call Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, TP Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Just a couple minutes left. Before we get to the nightly TV guide, I want to remind you that our sports call survey is up and available to be taken, and we certainly would appreciate any and all feedback. Again, it's only about nine questions, eight of them multiple choice. It takes just a couple of minutes. It's available at Sports Call AU on Twitter, also Sports Call Auburn on Facebook, Instagram, and the Tiger.fm website. Again, we certainly would appreciate any and all feedback, and uh, we look forward to trying to make the show better in 2024. We'll have that survey up for another week or two. There's still a little bit of time to make your voice heard. Uh, with Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Again, just a couple minutes left in today's show. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Got a couple minutes left. Brooks, what we got? Well, I'll tell you what we do have is a couple movie picks to start things off. Starting at 6 o'clock on IFC, if you want to go the comedy route tonight. The 40-Year-Old Virgin starring Steve Carell is on. I think I mentioned that like last week, too. Uh, but it is, it's, uh, it's, it's starting to get more popular, I guess, on, on the cable networks. But 6 o'clock tonight, IFC. Uh, if you're looking for an action sci-fi flick, uh, 6 o'clock on the Wii Network. It is Men in Black 2 is on tonight. Okay. You're a fan I, of the Men in Black series. Yeah, I like them all. Although I never saw MIB International. Mm, but it didn't okay. have Will Smith and yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, so it kind of... Yeah, it, it's okay. It was okay. Uh, sports picks for you this evening. Uh, there's a, It's a variety, but nothing too uh, headlining tonight. We'll start in the college basketball world, 6 o'clock ESPN 2. You got Cleveland State visiting Wright State, followed up at 8 o'clock by North Texas visiting Wichita State. Also at 8 o'clock on ESPNU, it's Eastern Illinois visiting UT Martin. And at 8.30 on ESPN, 
it is Colorado taking on Arizona. That's the one headliner of the night is Colorado. Uh, pretty surprising start to the year. They've, they've been fairly good. Arizona number 10 in the country right yeah. now. You, um, you just really got to give it to Dion and the energy around the whole Colorado athletics program. They're, they're really uh, capitalizing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, hockey action for you tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN. The Pittsburgh Penguins visit the Boston Bruins. Some really good uh, action there in the Eastern Conference. And, of course, some NBA action for you tonight. Doubleheader on TNT starting at 6.30. It is the Milwaukee Bucks visiting the uh, San Antonio Spurs. It's Victor Wembanyama's birthday, by the way. Can he beat Giannis Antetokounmpo on his birthday? Probably not. We'll see. Spurs are not good. They're not good at all. <laughs> uh, and then uh, 9 o'clock, that's the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic visits Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors from the Chase Center out in San Francisco. And, of course, Auburn women's basketball in action tonight. Their SEC opener is tonight as they take on the Tennessee Lady Vols inside Neville Arena, 7 o'clock on the SEC Network. Plus, and that is a, a nightclaw a nightly TV guide brought to your friends <laughs> at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Someone needs... Hey, uh, White Claw. <laughs> I think they've been indulging <laughs> in yeah, it. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Yeah, that is a big one. Neville Arena night between Auburn women's basketball and Tennessee Lady Balls. Nice free samples we got here. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you for that, Brooks, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Yes, sir. T.P. Amick, thank you for being here today. You'll be out some high school basketball tomorrow, so appreciate you being here today, and we'll see you again on this show next week. Thank you, as always. Again, that will do it for the show today. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and T.P. Hammock, My name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.